I finally got it in my head. I was like, I was, I got pissed. And I said that, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm getting to the front. I'm not, I'm not letting off. I'm going to the front, you know, and, and that's what it took. Episode 59, Tank Slapping Podcast. Back at it, and we have a doozy of a show for you guys. Lined up, we have Michael Buckley, VP of Marketing and Sales for Dunlop Motorcycle Tires. And then for a follow-up, we got national number 16, Ronnie Jones. Ronnie is just a legend, very underrated rider from a million decades doing it in flat track, just beating guys from just Kenny Roberts all the way up to Briar, the Briar Bowman's of the sport. I mean, it's not many people can say they've raced guys like Kenny Roberts all the way up to uh, the Briar Bowman. So yeah, excited to get Ronnie Jones on and talk, talk, talk about the many eras he's raced in and the many motorcycles and uh, just his resume is just unreal. 10 career wins, 32 podium finishes, uh, I finished top 10 in the points, I think like 11 straight years or some silly stat, just phenomenal stat. Um, the, the guy's awesome. And um, I don't know, I don't know his age. I'm not going to age drop him, but I, he's got to be, he's up there in age and he looks phenomenal. Could go out there next week, earn a spot in a main event and just crush it. So um, yeah, excited to have Ronnie on. Um, Want to make sure we shout out our sponsors and make this show happen. Bell Power Sports. Check them out on social media at Bell Power Sports and also their website, bellhelmets.com, to view all their products. The Race Star Flex is what the top professionals wear. Make sure you check that out. Also, the quality and safety, you can look up the ratings. It's unmatched across the industry. If you start Tank Slab and you want to be protected by Bell, Moto America VIR, May 21st to 23rd. Get your tickets. If you can't be there in person, the Moto America Live Plus Package, phenomenal TV coverage. You got to get it. You got to check it out. The Junior Cup, King of Baggers, Hona Superbike, Super Sport, Stock 1000, Twins Cup, plenty of classes. The, the grids are stacked this year. Some really good riders. Superbike class is unpredictable. There's so many guys that can win and finish on the podium. I'm excited for it. Make sure you check that out. VIR, Virginia International Raceway. May 21st to 23rd. DID Chain, add DID Chain on social media. All the major teams across the industry are using the 520MX Chain. Make sure you check them out. Send them a message on send them a message on social media and ask them what they recommend for your motorcycle. If you're curious on anything else regarding DID Chain, hit me up. I'm a I'm a big believer in the products and I use them on all my motorcycles. Jerry Stinchfield makes this show happen. He also makes the sport happen. He helps out half the Super Twins field, half the Production Twins field, and a handful of singles riders. We appreciate Jerry supporting our podcast, Commercial and Industrial Roofing Company, with nearly 40 years of experience. Check out his website, commercialroofsystems.net. Dunlop Tires, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series, the DT4. Check them out, dunlopmotorcycletires.com. Hit them up on social media. Get your tires. It's what all the pros use, and it's what you should uh, put on your bikes if you want to win races. AIM Sports, the world leader in data acquisition. Data, data, whatever. Potato, tomato, whatever. <laughs> Solo 2, the Solo 2 DL. It's what we use in our motorcycles, but a lot of top teams are using these days. 
So it's catching on. Don't be left out. Get that GPS lap timer. Um, really useful data. Helps me go fast. Helps our team go fast. So AIM Sports Data, at AIM Sports Data on social media. And a shout out to our newest sponsor, Hanum's Harley-Davidson in Media, Pennsylvania. The original store, 65 years in business. Such a long time. I grew up in the Harley industry. And, and the Hanum name is uh, just very successful name within the Harley Davidson world. Make sure you check them out. Tommy Hanum is a, is a flat track racer guys. He, he is one of us and he's got a store in media, Pennsylvania. If you need any Harley parts, accessories, service, motorcycles, check him out. Facebook, Instagram at Hanum's HD and their website is hanumshd.com. Hanum's is spelled H A N N U M S. That's a wrap on the sponsors, man. Without them, this honestly wouldn't be possible. And we appreciate them for uh, for supporting our podcast. Our first guest for tonight, we're actually bringing on Dunlop's VP of Sales, Michael Buckley. Let's give Michael a call. On the show, Michael Buckley, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Dunlop. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Corey? Oh, doing well, man. Thanks for coming on. It's, uh, it's really cool to get people from the industry on the show and let people connect uh, a voice to a, a company and a person. And yeah, just wanted to kind of bring you on, talk about your, your background at Dunlop and what you're doing now and what the direction is moving forward. So let's start with that. What is your background? Let's talk motorcycling. What's your background in motorcycling in general? And then uh, how did you start off at Dunlop? Yeah, I was I was that I was that kid that his parents would would never let him have a motorcycle, right? And uh, so I always wanted one when I was younger, and uh, I always got the big the big stop sign, mostly from mom, and uh, and so then I uh, I moved through life and out of high school and was in college and trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do, and um, and uh, I got I got hooked up in this this tire business, mostly working in retail stores, and made it onto a, working at a manufacturer. And uh, I was on the car side of things, and and uh, wasn't really thrilled with where that was going. And some opportunities opened up on the motorcycle side. I was at a different company, different tire company at the time, and uh, so I jumped into this this opportunity in the motorcycle game, and. Uh, immediately realized that uh, you kind of got to walk the walk and talk the talk. So uh, bought motorcycles and took an MSF course and, and uh, got into it. And that was probably 38 years ago now. So, uh, so jumped into it uh, full steam. I learned the hard way. I, I tried to, I tried to fake my way through it and you can't really fake it uh, in this industry, as you probably know. So um, got into it big time. And, uh, and then uh uh, as I uh, uh, spent the last 38 years in this industry, I've just enjoyed it uh, immensely. Could have jumped into back into four wheel on multiple occasions, but uh, I'm a big, uh, big proponent of, uh, uh, you know, having fun. It, uh, it's not, nothing worse than stress in, in your life. And if you go over in the car side and get all stressed out, it's going to take years off your life. I'd rather stay here and have fun on two wheels. And it's been, a, it's been a blast. I've been at Dunlop for 28 years now. And, uh, and just, uh, uh, I was a West coast guy, uh, when I moved there and didn't, didn't know if I was going to be able to make it Buffalo, New York, but 28 years later, uh, built a family and, uh, in a career and never looked back. So you're from upstate New York. That's where you're originally from, or is that where you're at now? 
No, I'm I'm originally from the West Coast. Oh, here. okay, okay. Uh, born and raised in SoCal, uh, oh, wow. and uh, and and went back to Buffalo for the for the Dunlop gig. Right. And spent 28 years there and built my family. Uh, just just the just my wife and uh, and our three kids and uh, and just recently last year moved back out here to our corporate headquarters in uh, Rancho Cucamonga, California. So back out kind of got kind of got a free ride home towards the end of my career to, to come back out to California but uh, but uh, very familiar with western New York and and that part of the world and like I said raised family had uh, had a uh, six acres of property and motocross track in the back and the kids uh, kids were racing and uh, really kind of kind of brought the whole motorcycle experience full circle once the kids started doing all that stuff all the things I missed when I was a kid I got to do with my kids which I think is almost even better. Like I, I love, I love going ride with, with my kid almost more than I, I like riding myself. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but that's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, you caught me off guard because most of the time when people are from SoCal, that's, you know, you, you said you didn't really start riding until you were, you know, until you were older. So yeah, it caught me off guard being a SoCal, pretty much everybody rides dirt bikes in Southern California. So um, no, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a really cool story. It's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the stress with car racing. We had um, Randy Goss on our show not too long ago. He's a multiple time champion in flat track, but he's also been a crew chief for, uh, for NASCAR. And he talked about how much he hated working in, in NASCAR and how much he loved motorcycle racing. So uh, that's always good to hear for uh, a motorcycle podcast, you know, but um, yeah, for for sure. You swim it, you swim in a much smaller uh, pool on the motorcycle side of things. It's uh, it's more of a cottage industry and uh, it's just a funner group of people. It's just, you know, you're you're just a cog in the wheel over there on the, on the four wheel side. So um, the motorcycle is definitely the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't disagree. I'm a little biased, but can't disagree. Uh, What is your, what's your knowledge and back? Is this, we, you know, we, we talk road racing quite a bit on here and motocross and things like that, but we're primarily a lot of flat track fans and enthusiasts uh, with my background and a lot of our guests. Um, What is your background in flat track racing? How did, what, what was your introduction to the sport and what are your thoughts on where Dunlop is right now with, uh, with American flat track? Yeah, like I said, 28 years um, at Dunlop, and uh, it was between 93 when I got there and 99 that we were we were owned by Sumitomo Rubber, and uh, we weren't involved in flat track at all. Um, the closest thing we came was a tire called the K180 that came on a on a on a on a Honda 250 flat track uh, replica that was built in in. Uh, in Japan, we brought some of those over and we kind of used those actually as rain tires for the old 883 road race series at one point, uh, kind of as, as intermediates. And, but we didn't, we didn't really get into flat track at all. And then in 1999, uh, Sumitomo did a joint venture with Goodyear. And obviously Goodyear was fully involved in flat track. And, uh, and when that happened, uh, we synergized uh, that Goodyear product eventually it didn't happen immediately but I was able to persuade the Goodyear guys it'd be much better to have us manage that uh, that Goodyear flat track tire and then eventually we started rebranding the Goodyear product to Dunlop so it wasn't until uh, I mean realistically the the joint venture happened in 99 but it wasn't until 
early 2000s before we got really involved because Goodyear was kind of protective. It was in the, it was actually in the same department that handles NASCAR for Goodyear is in their racing department. Um, and they had left, they had left Formula One and they'd left IndyCar. And so they were losing bits and pieces of their business. They wanted to hold on to the flat track tire thing as long as they could. And I don't know if you're old enough to remember at one point they moved the production to Chile of that tire and it didn't really work out too good. So they brought it back to the States. Uh, and eventually, I can't remember the exact year, but it was probably closer to 2005, 2006, convinced them to, to bring it into the, the, motorcycle, the Dunlop motorcycle side, rebrand it. Uh, and so they produced it for us and we sold it. And we got more involved with the, uh, with the, uh, the control tire contract with American Flat Track back then. It was... Uh, I believe it might have been under the Daytona Motorsports Group, and uh, and so started getting involved with it at that point. Uh, up until uh, recently, when we introduced the DT4, which is really the first new iteration of that tire in probably forty years. Yeah, I was gonna say what that was my next question. What prompted that change? Um, you know, you, that that tire tread, like you just said. I mean, forty years we've we've used it. It's all I knew kind of growing up through the amateur ranks into my early years as a professional. Um, even more than my early years, I think I probably ran, like I said, I ran that for forever. So, um, yeah, what prompted that change? Was it just the, the technology of the motorcycles, just trying, trying something different? What, what was kind of behind that change? Yeah, there was some some technology changes, some different platforms and uh, power plants uh, in the bikes, but really, um, it was a kind of a uh, it was a, a collaboration between uh, uh, the, my engineering team and Dunlop um, and the uh, and the and the guys at AFT and, and Michael Locke wanting to bring uh, bring something new and and kind of really pushing suppliers and and uh, and people involved in the sport to move along with the strides that they were making. So um, when it was Goodyear, we didn't have the ability to have them make a lot of changes. They were pretty, they weren't focused on it. Uh, motorcycle wasn't really core to what Goodyear was doing. It hadn't been for many years. They exited, uh, they kind of exited the motorcycle business uh, for the most part in about 1984. So flat track was their last kind of link to two wheel world. And they weren't really interested in doing a lot of uh, research and development or uh, innovation in the space. So once we did, uh, uh, once we unraveled the uh, joint venture in 2015, uh, we had brought the production of the tire to Buffalo and we kind of controlled our own destiny at that point. And we like to innovate. Uh, we do it in our touring and our road race and our hypersport spaces. Uh, we're always innovating and our Japanese company is doing it in off-road. So uh, it was a natural for us to bring something new and flat track and, and uh, AFT uh, between Michael's leadership, they were, they were kind of pushing us in that direction anyway. So it, it, it really worked out well to, to, to get it done. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a simple task to get it done because the tire worked pretty darn good. It, I mean, it survived 40 years and it wasn't because people didn't try to compete with it over the years. It just really worked well for a wide variety of uses. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good tire. I mean, you guys still offer the DT3, right? Um, is that still yep. available or, okay. Yeah. That's what yep. I thought. 
Yeah, we rebranded it in the, into the K180 family, uh, but we didn't change uh, the five compound uh, front and rear. So we offer that, we made it DOT. So we put an inner liner in it so it can be run tubeless because prior you had to run a tube, it didn't have an inner liner. Right. And we made it we made a DOT because there's there's quite a few uh, folks out there doing uh, you know flat track or board track uh, type replica bikes, uh, uh, you know, hooligan type style bikes, and so now it's street legal, but it's it's basically the same uh, uh, five compound that you used uh, when you raced on the DT3. So moving forward a little bit, what is your favorite form of racing to watch um like what what do you have the most invest what are you most invested in like are you road racing MotoGP, supercross motocross um flat track woods racing like what is your favorite form of racing and then maybe a follow-up who's your who's your favorite rider i mean since you've you've been in this a long time who's your favorite rider to watch yeah my uh i still um I still love road racing uh, and I love AMA road racing because I was there with when there was six factories involved when you uh, uh, when you threw all the guys in there. And it was it was, you know, pretty intense when you when you throw in um, uh, uh, the four Japanese OEMs, Ducati and Harley, um, it was uh, those were the days going to the Daytona 200 when there was uh, a quick change uh, front and rear and uh, all those and all those tire tests we used to uh, suffer through in December uh, and and getting ready for the race in March and then holding our fingers uh, crossing our fingers to try and make it through the race at Daytona because it's such a monster on tires down there and the bikes were so fast and they got they got progressively better every year and we were always chasing it um i think the challenge of all that just made me love that sport that so much uh and of course i was very close with a lot of the riders and uh, probably my biggest hero during that time was uh was miguel de hamel he he that guy was uh winning that race that year on that broken leg getting off and getting onto a crutch i mean that guy's a hero and uh and i became very close with miguel over the years and he was just a just a he's a just a great human being and so i I just love to watch him got to see him on the honda got to see him on a kawasaki got to see him on the on the harley there for a bit so he got to see him on a lot of different stuff and uh but he was always always such a competitor and uh and just just a great guy but i'm just a big fan of that i wish i i i don't want to say i wish we'd go back to daytona because it is it is such a tough place to make a road race tire work um but I miss those days. I miss those that 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 high intensity when AMA was a lot bigger. They're doing such a great job. Wayne and the crew are doing, and Chuck are doing such a fantastic job with it now. I just got back from Road Atlanta. I did uh, I did both events, as you know, and uh, yep. uh, and the uh, the Road Atlanta event was fantastic uh, for Moto America. Really, really felt it. I think that King of the Baggers thing is helping there. But I got to tell you, I mean, watching that that Super TT was was pretty darn cool. Uh, I mean, I'm I really enjoy watching the flat track, and uh, I haven't, like I said, we haven't spent uh, I haven't spent a lot of my career uh, being involved with it at this level. 
So I get out the flat track as much as I can. And I, that super TT was pretty awesome the other night. Yeah, it was, it was entertaining. I'm, I'm glad uh, I, I got a lot of that from the fans. They really enjoyed watching it. So that's, that's what matters for, to be honest. I mean, for, for, for our, for the riders in the series, we love getting good feedback from the fans because without, without the fans, it wouldn't be possible, but it's actually crazy. You mentioned Miguel. He's one of the guys I'm, I want to get on the show. So um, you can put a, put a word in for me, but we've had, we've had some other guys from, from his era a little bit, the Bostrom brothers and Jake Zemke and um, Doug Chandler. I think he was probably a little bit of his era too, but yeah, we've had some good ones on here. Uh, but Miguel would be, would be really cool. I actually just posted on social media the other day. I'd love to get, I'd love to get Miguel on the show. So um, I'll shoot him. Yeah. I'll shoot him a text when we hang up here. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Shoot him a text. Let's go. Let's get him on. Cause a lot of people have asked about Miguel um, growing up. My dad raced the, uh, the Harley, actually, you mentioned the Harley road racing series. My dad actually raced that he was, I think he won the championship point one or two years in the, the back in the, like, I think it was the U S twin sports it was called. Yep. Um, so yeah, that was, so yeah, I, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of background in road racing as well. And Moto America is like my favorite series to watch. So that's, that's uh really interesting. It really interesting. Um, yeah, no, I just wanted to get you on, uh, talk a little bit about Dunlop and some of the stuff you guys are doing for flat track is phenomenal. Not only rebranding the tire, creating new compounds, you have R3, R5, R7, R9s, you got front tire. I mean, there's, you offer a lot of products for flat track right now. Contingency, you have the Dunlop elite amateur program, which I'm stoked on because I'm a big, I love amateur racing and supporting the amateur teams. And you guys do so much for the amateurs. And yeah, I pre we just appreciate you coming on and looking forward to see what Dunlop has in store in the near future. Yeah, I, I would, I know you, you've got a lot of uh, people listening that have kids that are getting into this thing. Um, I would invite them to go to uh, teamdunlop.com. We're part of the Hook It family. That's where kind of our repository for resumes and support. And if you go to Hook It uh, slash Team Dunlop, there's a, uh, there's a toggle on the top right-hand corner that goes uh, motocross flat track the motocross program is just a monster it's been uh 20 years now we're in our 20th year and we the, the who's who the sport have come through that program and we're trying to replicate that for the flat track side now this is, this is our, our our first uh first team uh but all the information the kids are on there and it lets you know where to go to get uh on the program to to get support it's a really solid program and we're we're in this thing for the long haul, you know, we're innovating and trying to bring product because that's what's important to do to show people, you know, how cool this sport is. And, uh, uh, and this, uh, this amateur support program is just another way to do that. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not done by many other companies. I mean, everybody's focused on the pro stuff and for you guys to actually give back to the amateurs, it's, it's just awesome. And it's, it speaks a lot about the uh, integrity of the company. So uh, once again, Michael, appreciate you coming on the show, let you get back to it and we'll chat with you soon. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Corey. All right. Talk to you later. All right. See you. We good? We are good, man. Thank you. On the line right now, Ronnie Jones, national number 16 for so many years. Just stoked to get you on, man. How are you? 
Doing good. Doing good. Kind of, uh, you know, waiting for, I guess, racing season to really kick off, you know, uh, full time. You know, it's been been getting going a little bit kind of slowly, but yeah, looking forward to racing taking off. So are you retired right now? Currently not retired. I, I, I know I saw you in, in Volusia, man. And you're, I think your lap times would have, would have put you pretty darn close in the singles class. So what's, what's the move for Ronnie Jones this year? Like what, what do you got planned? You know, it's kind of pretty similar to what it's been, Corey, the last, I don't know, several years anyway. Um, it's just kind of depends on, when I get the urge, um, there, you know, there's certain tracks that really appeal to me and, uh, certain opportunities, you know, Tim Essenson gave me a chance to ride an Indian, which was kind of a bucket list thing. Um, you know, that kind of moved me closer towards making a grand national main event in six different decades, uh, back in, uh, 2018 when I was riding as Indian. And then he said, you know, I thought, well, I'll keep riding, see if I can make a main in 2020, which would be the sixth, you know, sixth different decade that I'd made a, a national main event in. And, uh, and then, you know, he, he did his deal with Yamaha. And so he said, Hey, can't, can't be having anybody, you know, riding out of the truck here on an Indian. So we switched to a Yamaha that year and went out and made a few nationals. And then, then COVID hit and kind of messed up, you know, 2020, which would have been my first opportunity to do that. And, uh, and, and also they changed the format, you know, of the series, uh, with the super twins class and that, so that's kind of, you know, put my, you know, my, um, plans or I, I don't know if you even call them plans, you know, just, uh, it was kind of something to motivate me, push me, keep me in shape, keep my, you know, try to keep my mind sharp, my body sharp, I guess, in case I, you know, had the opportunity and decided I wanted to go do it. But, uh, you know, kind of back around to your original question. You know, I do have a, a lot. I got my license this year. Uh, uh, thanks to uh, Bill Gately. Uh, he had, you know, I've been doing some testing for him, uh, not really planning on doing any racing, um, you know, is, but, but uh, went ahead and got my license so that if, if I decided to something came up race that I wanted to do came up, then I'd be prepared. So, so I am licensed this year uh, in the twins class. Okay. Well, I was going to say if uh, to make the, make the national now, man, it's kind of took taking a lot of steam out from people. I mean, you just what, write the check and, and you're in there. So that's, I know you're motivated by a challenge and that's sort of, sort of takes the wind out of your sails with a, uh, with a different format a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, uh, you know, last year before COVID hit, um, is the you know is it the, the season was kind of taking shape and i think the list of riders that they had you know potentially signing up for the super twins class hadn't come into focus yet you know they didn't know but it looked like they were going to be a few riders short and so um joey mancari the the uh, director of competition at the time called and said hey you know you're from oklahoma city you know we'd you know if you would go ahead and uh signed up because I didn't even have a license at that point in 2020. In fact, I didn't get licensed in 2020 uh, just because of everything that was going on and with COVID and everything else. But, um, he, you know, he said, you know, if you want to ride Oklahoma City, we could, you know, we could grant you a wild card spot. And, you know, it just didn't really interest me. And, and as it turned out, Oklahoma City was, you know, it, it several races just got canceled last year completely. And, and that was one of them. So it wouldn't have mattered. But yeah, I just, you know, the 
at this point, you know, for me, at my age, and, you know, it's not about going out and proving something. Uh, I know I'm not as fast as I was. Um, you know, I was just going out riding really for fun. And, you know, one year would go by and, you know, two and three and four years, five years in a decade. And, you know, and, and it's kind of funny, Scotty Dubler, uh, made the national in like 2011, I think it was, uh, maybe at Calistoga and Scott, Scotty, whom I've known for a long, long time, he was announcing that night and he said, he said, cause he, he knew, you know, that I was a rookie in 79, of course, that's kind of common knowledge now with the, with the charity, but he said, so you made your first national in the seventies and, you know, and then you made nationals in the eighties and the nineties and the O's. And now here we are in the teens, you know, in 2011, <laughs> he said, that's five yeah. different decades. I don't think anybody's done that. And he says, you know, that's crazy. He says, do you think you can make six? And we got a big laugh out of it. And I said, you know, there's no way. And, and honestly, at the time, I believe there was no way that, you know, I'd be able to, to stay fast enough, sharp enough, healthy enough, whatever to, to make it. And, circumstances being what they were you know I, I rode a national again in 2013 or 14 and then again in 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 and you know it uh, you know was was surprising myself as I got closer to that six different decade and so then it kind of became a you know actually a goal you know to make it to 2020 but you know given given like the circumstance where we just talked about you know with the the super yeah. twins class and the format it's just different you know it's there's other series that, that use that formula, you know, formula one and MotoGP that has just a set field. And, um, but it did certainly take away, um, you know, the, the motivation for me, you know, I'm not just wanting a spot granted to me to say I rode this long or anything like that. You know, the, um, um, the, you know, that I'd, I'd always feel funny. I guess you, I guess you'd say I'd have to put an asterisk by, uh, that sixth decade, if I was actually granted a spot in a main event and didn't come in and have to qualify and, and, and outrun the, you know, other riders to, to make that spot, you don't have to be faster than somebody to make it. And so, um, so it kind of, you know, at this point, it, you know, if, if this formula stays, you know, part of uh, AFT and the super twins class, well, you know, no biggie. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, feel like I made it this, you know, made nationals in 2019, got a top 10, you know, at Sacramento and, uh, just, you know, I feel like I, you know, I, at least in my mind, I, I really, I feel like I made it to that six different decade and was capable of making the main event. Um, whether or not that ever happened, you know, it's kind of like, well, Gosh. you Shit, know, yeah. I mean, that was, what was Sacramento? That was four months away from 2020, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Well, let's, uh, we got ahead a little bit because I was just genuinely curious what the heck you've been up to, but let's kind of backtrack a little bit. Um, we won't get into every nitty gritty detail because your your career, I, like you just said, it's phenomenal over such a long period of time. But um, I know you started racing, you were pretty young. Um, I want to say eight, nine years old um, from what I remember. And what I also remember is you were inspired by On Any Sunday, which is really cool and it's synonymous with so many young racers and you actually turned it into what later became a hall of fame career so talk about that um when did you see on any sunday and what exactly in that film inspired you yeah there was you know i i had um kind of funny you know and and it's 
all the guys my age, all we all when we get together, we kind of have you know the same same story to tell. But um, so you probably have heard this over and over again with guys my age. But uh, when On Any Sunday came out, it was around 1970. I was about uh, 10 years old, had just um, gotten interested. You know, I had a little three horsepower Briggs and Stratton mini bike that uh, my parents got for me and my brother David. Um, at Montgomery Wards. I don't know if anybody remembers Montgomery Wards, but anyway, um, we, um, it was a department store like Sears kind of, and they had an automotive department and they sold Cushman's and other, you know, and that's where they had the lawnmowers and the different things, but they had these old three horsepower mini bikes. And I just thought they were the coolest thing ever. So I got one of those and, and, uh, and then my cousin who was a little bit older, he was like 14 and needed transportation. So, um, uh, my, my, aunt my my dad's sister said hey would you help uh, my son you know he needs a motorcycle take him down to the motorcycle shop and help give him something that you know he can get around on it was i think in you know at, in, at 14 you could only ride a 60 cc or something and yamaha made a little 60 that was street legal or something like that so maybe it was 100 you know but uh, anyway and so i went down and so kind of thought that was really cool you know we're hanging out at the motorcycle shop and saw all the bikes and and so then when I uh, saw the commercials come on about on any Sunday, you know, talking about motorcycle racing and the, the ad showed, you know, somebody jumping through the air on a motorcycle or whatever, I thought, well, that looks cool. I got to go see that. And I was about 10. And so I, I you know, had my, my parents take me and uh, to the movie, uh, you know, I think me and actually a couple of friends and we went and saw it and they were, you know, going to pick us up at the end of the movie in a couple hours. And so, um, we ended up, you know, only getting to sit and watch it that one time. But, uh, you know, that was like the next weekend it, I went back again, had my mom, the, the first showing was like at 11 AM or something. Well, I, I sat there all day and watched it till like 10 o'clock that night, just over and over again and had her, you know, had her finally come pick me up when the, when it, you know, when the, the movie theater was closing, but, um, yeah, there was just, um, something, you know, like I say, all of all of us guys from that that era, that generation, um, you know, the way they they portrayed uh, Mert Lawwell in the movie, and you know, and Gene Romero, who, you know, said, you know, hey fans, I you know, I dig Carnations, you know, got to get got to get first, win the championship, come visit me in the hospital, I dig Carnations, all those things, you know, just. Um, you know, Mark Brelsford throwing it sideways at a hundred miles an hour or over a hundred, you know, on a mile and all that stuff just made it on the big screen, just made it look like the greatest thing ever, you know? And it was, it, um, it was probably, Oh, I don't know. In October that, that movie came out, I think in the summer of 70 or something like that. And I, the, uh, 70 or 71. And then, um, there was a national at Oklahoma city at the fairgrounds um each year it was in october at that time so you know when i saw the after i became aware of the grand national series and found out they were having a national at the fairgrounds you know i got talking my dad into uh taking me and my brother and you know i was my apologies i couldn't hear oh, what you said hold on here uh, <laughs> yeah my my my, my watch my watch is taken off um <laughs> the um but uh, uh I, you know, I told my dad, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, my dad, he didn't really know anything about racing either. 
he didn't know any much about motorcycles or anything like that. He took us because me and my brother, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't quit bothering him until he took us. But, um, you know, I told my dad sitting there watching in the stands for my very first national, um, you know, and all the guys that were in the movie, Dave Aldana and, and Dick Mann and Jim Rice and Mert and everybody were there. And I told my dad, I said, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm going to do when I grow up. And, uh, you know, we, he just kind of shook his head. And after the races, we had to go down and get autographs and we're walking around in the pitch, you know, and wasn't anything like it is now, you know, with, with motor homes and, uh, semis and all this stuff, you know, there's a bunch of guys in a bunch of beat up vans, you know, a few El Caminos, um, you know, and, uh, it's funny that the back doors are open to the van, you know, and they're just, you know, filthy, got a little cop laying in the back, you know, with a sleeping bag and, you know, tools scattered everywhere. And, you know, my dad points in and he goes, look, you don't want to do that. You know, look at those guys, man, they're filthy. They're sleeping in their vans. They, you know, they, they're, they're all dirty. And I was like, man, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he just looked at me and David, like we were, like we were nuts, you know, I mean, he just, he thought, well, they'll, they'll surely I grow this, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, you know, yeah, that it was like that kind day. Of, my, my mind was made up, you know, that's what I was going to do. It's, it's crazy. Like you describe it as like a kid telling their dad, they want to be an astronaut or something crazy like that. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Sure you do. And then sure enough, uh, you, you became a, a top rider in the series, but you, you kind of, when you're describing the, the pit scene in the, in the seventies, you, 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 you reeled me in with the El Camino, like, ah, oh. That's like my dream. I look up El Camino's like once a week, just, just finding <laughs> one. Just the, the plan was to show up in a, a couple of years ago, we were in Florida and we were, we, it was like raining for three days straight. And I was looking for El Camino's in Florida and we were going to show up to Daytona, the first race in a, in El Camino. So yeah, uh, that'd have been tight. Yeah. That'd have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, back yeah. then, if you had a van, you know, you were, I mean, you were really going in high style. I mean, <laughs> really? you know, some guys, some That's... guys were dragging their bike around. They didn't have an El Camino or a van. Some of them had cars, you know, with the, with the, the trunk up, Trailer. you know, and had the bike stuck half, you know, in the trunk oh, with the, man. off the back bumper. I mean, you know, it was, I've seen you know, that. Yeah, this was way back that's you know? amazing I'm, I'm a little older than you, but you know, so that was, this was, <laughs> but that's how you got her done back then. That's badass. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, on any Sunday, it's crazy how iconic that movie is. And the more I hear about it, the more the more times I see it, um, I gain just more respect every time I watch it. Like, to be honest, when I first saw it, um, I was like, yeah, it's it's cool. But I, I didn't like I really appreciate it until I got older. And and now it's like when I see it, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like a history lesson every time. You know, I almost want to sit down with a notebook and just write stuff down. But yeah, that's that's amazing. You, you, like you said, you turned pro in 1979 and let's talk about maybe that transition from amateur to pro. Who were the guys you were racing with? I know it was, it was different back then. It was novice junior expert and things, things like that. But who were the, who were the guys you were kind of competing with through the ranks? Like, uh, your rivals kind of, well, you know, when I, when I started racing around here locally, there was a track here outside of, uh, Oklahoma city, uh, Yukon Raceway. It's where Garth Brooks is from. That's kind of what it's known for. Garth Brooks is from Yukon, but um, it's a little racetrack there. And it was, you know, back in those days, they they oiled all the racetracks. You know, so they didn't have to water them. They'd oil them. There wasn't any dust or anything. And 
the um that was you know it was a, a really neat little short track and they would run on on saturday nights and on friday nights uh they'd run down in fort worth at a little track called ross downs and it was oiled as well very similar you know surfaces and you know so the the deal was you know uh, the, the okies would you know make not every week you know make a trip down to ross downs on on fridays if we could make it and and on saturdays some of the times you know terry Poovey would would come up um from from there from texas and, and race at yukon uh you know there were there were guys bubba schobert uh you know when i was a kid freddie spencer was a couple of years year i think a year younger than me you know freddie was from louisiana and he'd go over and race at ross downs that's where he kind of would go learn to race and and then he would come up to yukon occasionally and so there were you know there were local guys scott adams who was a national number of um ultimately uh paralyzed in a crash uh in 91 um but he was a top little rider from around here a guy named david bradley uh from from tulsa was another top rider uh gary ketchum who's who uh came back after you know being off many years and came back and ultimately earned a national number um you know he was one of the top kids that i grew up racing with my brother david um you know, like I said, we'd, we'd race against, uh, on almost a weekly basis against Freddie Spencer and Bubba Schobert. And, and then when we got up to the two fifties and things like that, we had to start racing against, uh, Mike Kidd and Terry Poovey, um, Willie McCoy's dad, you know, I raced against Willie's dad. Um, uh, you know, there was just a, a whole bunch of guys, you know, from this area, Randy Cleek, uh, there was a track in Tulsa and all the McDonald's boys phil mcdonald pat and sam uh randy cleek was was everybody's hero from from oklahoma you know he was the guy that um was uh most prominent you know on the national scene at that time from oklahoma and so he was who we all tried to tried to imitate and learn from uh, but um those are the guys that i kind of raced with you know before i you know turned 16 and became a novice and went off racing you know around the country well, that's some pretty stacked fields. I mean, uh, you mentioned Poovy and Freddie Spencer and Bubba and yeah, that, that time I forgot, I forgot how, how stacked like Texas and Oklahoma and that area was. Cause right now there's not, there's not a ton of riders from that area. Um, pretty much every, everybody is from either California, Pennsylvania, Michigan. It seems like you don't really see a lot of OKC Texas riders, but the history is, is phenomenal. Actually, we've had, I forget, we just had somebody on from Texas not too long ago and, and they brought it up some of the riders and I was like, man, that, that is stacked. So, um, so moving forward to your professional career, you kind of knew where you stood really. I mean, you turned pro, I'm sure your confidence was pretty high because you've already raced with a lot of those guys coming, coming into it and you were pretty confident, right? I mean, how, how was that? that rookie year for you? I mean, what was the yeah. confidence level like? Well, my, you know, the, my novice, you know, are you talking about my novice year or my, my rookie expert year? Yeah, I guess, I guess we could talk about the novice then like, yeah, the novice into junior and then, and then expert. Well, I guess it was different. So yeah, let's talk about moving into that novice class from an amateur. Um, yeah. Well, the, yeah, how did you do as novice and junior? Like, what? Well, I don't even know your stats really for, for that, that time of your career. Yeah, the the um, you know the thing about being a novice, of course, just like all of us, is is uh, 
you know, most of us had only raced at our home race track or, you know, in locally, you know, I raced at, um, I think I'd done a race or two in, in Wichita, Kansas, and then in Yukon, and then at Ross Downs, and then rode a few races up in Tulsa. There was a track up there called De Anza, but we mainly had stayed in this area. Well, so I, because of that, I had never ridden a half mile when I became a novice. I don't, I'd only ridden short tracks and indoors. We ran indoors in the wintertime. And the, you know, the thing about indoor racing was it, it taught you how to, you know, race close and, and, you know, bump and kind of bump and run and, you know, and, and how not to knock people off, but how, you know, taught you, you know, guys that were really, really good and aggressive, you know, Randy Cleek could go by you where there's only six inches between you and the, you know, the inside curb bumper, you know, at the indoor and never touch you. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Terry Pooby could do the same thing. And so, you know, you really had to learn, uh, you know, how, how to be smooth and fast. And, 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 you know, it was, um, it, it was amazing to really for us to, to be able to race against those guys. Um, so that when we turned pro, you know, I felt really good about, you know, my, my, my skills, my ability, you know, but I, you know, you, you've never been out there traveling outside your little circle and you think, well, wow, you know, you hear about all the guys from California that race Ascot and all on the West coast and everything. And at that time, we just kind of, everybody thought, you know, if every, all the guys from California were faster than us. So when I got out there, you kind of really didn't know what to expect. And, you know, I'd heard uh, this kid named Wayne Rainey and, uh, you know, he was, he was the main guy that, you know, everybody was talking about from the West coast because, they started racing before the season really kicked off. They used to run weekly shows at Ascot. And of course that was all those results were always in cycle news. And Wayne, you know, was winning all the races at Ascot and the novice thing. And so anyway, he was riding for shell who, you know, was Kenny Roberts built Kenny Roberts bikes. And so we knew he was going to have good bikes. And so it was, you know, there was, there was, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, I thought I'd be competitive and, and uh, of course, you know, we, we, um, uh, we all went down to Daytona and that's kind of where we all ran into each other for the first time. And, and heck I went down there and, and, uh, the novice night at the stadium, it, it was actually back over at the college back then at Memorial stadium, the original racetrack. And, uh, I got, I ended up getting second, but it wasn't to Wayne Rainey. It was to a kid, you know, named Brian Bernard from Michigan that none of us had ever heard of. So, you know, we, we, we learned real <laughs> the quick. The beauty of Daytona. Yeah. Yeah, we learned real quick that there were guys, you know, there were guys all over, you know, there's a kid named Kenny Kenyon from Michigan, Charlie Roberts, uh, Jackie, or uh, Tommy Duma, you know, was in my rookie class. Uh, all the guys in the charity, you know, were all in my my rookie class, Johnny Winslowitz, um, Scott Parker. And the Scotty, Scotty actually, his birthday fell late in the year. And so Scotty just barely made his points uh, at the end of, our novice year. So I didn't really get to race with Scotty as a novice. Um, but he made just, just barely made his points to move up to the junior class with all of us. So, you know, Scotty was in our class. And so I didn't really, didn't, we didn't know much about Scotty. We didn't hear about him so much. Um, but, um, yeah, I was, you know, a, um, uh, it ended up being a, a, you know, a good, good class. And, and as it turned out, you know, we kid all the time, you ask about, you know, how my, my stats were, I ended up, um, riding, I don't know, 35 or 36 races as a novice. I ended up getting second in the nation, 
behind Charlie Roberts. Charlie ended up actually, I think Wayne Rainey was third and Tommy Duma might've been fourth as the novices, but um, you know, I was kid Charlie cause he rode about 16 more races. So I hope he's listening to this, Charlie, I'm going to make sure, you know, you're listening, but he rode about 16 more races and he beat me by a point and a half, you know, in, for out, out of being the number one novice in the nation in 77. So, um, but that was, you know, that was how that, that year went. Um, but it was, you know, it was great getting to, um, like I said, first, I my first time at, uh, on a, on a half mile. Um, and so I, you know, I, it's I, funny you mentioned that Ronnie, cause my first, my first, I grew up in Pennsylvania we have clay, clay short tracks and indoors, basically just like you said it. And my first pro, I mean, my first half mile was as a pro too. Like I didn't race really any half miles as an amateur. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Cause nowadays, I mean, kids are racing half miles all the time. And uh, yeah, my, I didn't turn, uh, I didn't race a half mile until I was pro. Um, I want to say Lima, they had an invitational pro sport race there in 2006 and I was pretty cocky. Like I was, I was full of piss and vinegar more than I am now full of piss and vinegar. And, uh, I've never run a cushion half mile and I'm, I'm just talking tons of shit in the car. I'm, I'm going to win this thing, dude. I got smoked. Like I didn't even make the main event and there, yeah, I, I got smoked. Like, I think I got last place in my semi, um, you know, I, I never rode a cushion. I always rode clay, clay short tracks. So yeah, it's just, it's, it brought back memories hearing you talk about that. Cause yeah, yeah. I was, I was awful when I started on the half miles cause I just never ran them. So uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, really, real interesting. <laughs> um, so 77 novice and then junior 78. And then like we talked about turn pro and in, in 79. So let's, let's kind of go through your early years. And as a, as an expert rider, um, let's talk through the the seventies into the eighties. Um, I know you, you rode a Harley, I think, I know you rode a Harley to start off, right? Your expert career, yeah. you're on a Harley. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Privateer Harley. And then go ahead. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, there was a guy back here in Oklahoma city, Dennis Latimer. In fact, uh, you know, the reason I bring him up, I, I went to his funeral today, Dennis Latimer owned a motorcycle shop. A lot of people knew Dennis. Um, he owned a place called Motorcycle Supply in Oklahoma City, and he sponsored about every kid that came out from this area. He just helped, you know, and he would he would launch these, you know, us young kids and get us started. He couldn't do much. He just owned a little accessory and service shop, but he, he knew how to build good engines and stuff, and he built us all really good engines and um, sent us out racing. And, then, you know, and so he could only help you basically if you're on a 250. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't buy us twins or do anything like that, and so – but he helped me find a Harley and, and, uh, bought it, you know, got a Harley when I was a junior and Dennis built my bike. And then when I was junior, my brother, David was a novice and he built David's bike and David went on to would be the number one novice in the nation in 78. Um, you know, and then, uh, when I was a rookie, um, uh, Viper frame started sponsoring David and I, David was a junior. I was a rookie and I had a Harley and, and, uh, you know, took off and, you know, in search of fortune and glory to my, um, you know, my, my rookie year, uh, you know, uh, we were fortunate that there were enough races around Granite City, Santa Fe, things that we could do weekly shows um, to, you know, to make enough money to keep racing. But, um, you know, I had very limited success as a rookie. I made three national main events, uh, two of those being short tracks. I and went down to Houston as a rookie first race out of the box and got fifth at the national at Houston. So, you know, I was pretty hopeful. Uh, the Harley that I had was not, you know, the best Harley. Um, and I, like I said, I'd never ridden a half mile until I was 
the year, you know, until I was a novice. And so, man, I had to jump on. I was still learning how to ride a 750 when I was a rookie. Um, but, um, and then I made the Santa Fe short track national, uh, and finished in the top 10, I think. And, and I made one half mile national at Topeka, Kansas. And so not a very, um, great beginning, you know, um, of course there was, you know, it was pretty competitive at that time. You know, there was, uh, you know, every guy in a national, of course, was just about had, had won a national. And so, uh, but you know, I, I was, um, you know, I won like three trophy mains at that time. There were only, uh, 14 guys that made the main instead of the last chance qualifier. They had a, a, what they called a trophy main. And I won, uh, three of them that year at Columbus, Ohio, at the charity newsies. And then at, and at Ascot and one other, uh, that year, I'm trying to think, I have to see if I can recall, but, um, so those were, you know, what, uh, those would have been three more main events. I would have made the, the next year, a couple of years later, they changed that trophy main into a last chance qualifier. And so the guys would go on to the main event, but, um, that was, um, you know, my rookie season was, you know, limited success, I guess you'd say. Um, but, um, you know, the first, uh, race of 1980 was at down at the Astrodome and, uh, you know, I was, I was just, you know, didn't have a lot of money. I had to, didn't have a uh, TT bike. There was only, you know, a few TTs. And so I had to have a Harley, of course. And then the two fifties were cheap enough to, to keep and maintain. So I had one of those. So I had to borrow a TT bike for the, for the national at Houston. And, um, I rode Bill Snyder who owned a Honda dealership in Manhattan, Kansas. He had a Honda 500 that I rode and I ended up making the national on the TT, the, you know, my, in my sophomore season, the first year I had a national number, I did do well enough uh, to earn a national number. And, and, uh, the only one that finished higher than me in the points was Scotty Parker, uh, that year from the rookies, uh, Scotty had won two nationals that year. He won Indianapolis and, and DuCoin as a, as a rookie. So he had quite a, quite a great start, but, uh, he picked number 11 and the next number available was 16. So I got 16 and, um, you know, from in 1980 and, uh, I went down to Houston, made the national, uh, fell off in the TT. Uh, the next night I won the short track national, you know, beat Kenny Roberts. Kenny won the TT the night before and I beat him, um, uh, you know, to, to win my first national main event, you know, and, uh, pretty, pretty amazing night, you know, uh, a lot of hometown people, a lot of Texans. I grew up racing at Ross Downs and still a lot of people there. And a lot of people came to Houston from all over the country because it was the first race of the year and it was, it was ran in, you know, the eighth wonder of the world, which n- now looks like a, you know, like a, uh, like a big garage basically. Uh, but at that time it was, it was pretty spectacular. Yeah. I was just going to ask about the Astrodome. I've seen videos and photos. It looks so awesome. Like I, if I could pick any venue from back in the day, it'd be, uh, it'd probably be the Astrodome. Just, just the atmosphere. Uh, you said it's a, what is it now? It's a parking garage. <laughs> yeah you know they built energy stadium nrg uh you know for that the houston texans play in and and they built it uh you know on the what, what what used to be part of the parking lot for the astrodome and i think you know they they really didn't know what to do with the astrodome it was it was such an, an icon it's kind of like a historical you know it's the first really big uh stadium like that and, and when you drove up to it i mean it, you know, it looks tiny now compared to, uh, energy stadium, but it looks 
huge. I mean, it, it just was, you know, they called it, the Astrodome was the eighth wonder of the world, it, you know, is what they called it back then. And, um, and so they didn't really know what to do with it. And so I happened to be down there, I went with my daughter to a cheer competition here a few couple of years back uh, that was going on uh, in Houston and we, and went and checked it out and actually snuck down the ramp that we used to have to go down right from the, the where the pits were out in the parking lot down to inside the Astrodome and took some pictures and basically they use it it's like a big barn they store all the stuff that they need you know to put on events in energy stadium and everything it's full of you know uh oh lighting equipment and golf carts and just things that they use you know they've taken out all the seats and everything out of the stands and it looks dark the building and still there though right pardon like the building is still there like where you guys had it is just oh, it's yeah. just different yeah oh, wow that's phenomenal that's it, so cool yeah they just they you know they took all the the ramps that people you know the walking ramps used to walk up to go into the to the doors you know to go take your seat and stuff they took all that stuff out but the building itself oh, still sits cool. there and yeah and it just looks so you know like i said before it looked so big and huge when we drove up on it the first time you know it was just like i, well, I was so in awe you know and and it was just <laughs> it was so cool the first races of the year everybody had brand new leathers and brand new paint jobs and you know, the lights oh, yeah. were so bright and everything. And so it just, yeah, it, it, you know, and it was full of people, you know, it just had a buzz. I mean, it was, it really was something special, you know, um, you know, it's hard to say that there's anything that really even compares to it even today. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love, I, I, the footage you find on YouTube, it's so grainy, like technology yeah. wasn't very awesome back then, but I, I'm just glued to it. I, I love watching astrodome footage if i could find some clear footage man i would i would do i would spend a lot of money to to watch a like a, a main event from from that from that time but you you talked about a little bit you beat kenny roberts in that main event i think mickey Faye was second i think kenny roberts was third yeah. um so i don't know if many people know it but was i heard kenny roberts was like your your idol your guy so yeah how talk about that a little bit. I mean, Kenny, we had Kenny on the show not too long ago. He was, he was awesome. Um, but yeah, I, what, what made him your, your guy? I mean, um, you know, growing up, what, like what made him your favorite rider and what was it like to, for me, like it was tough to, you know, grow up in flat track, turn pro. And then, you know, my idols were guys I had to beat. Like that was very challenging for me. It took me a long time to kind of get over that and your sophomore season, you, you beat your idol. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it was, you know, Kenny was kind of at that, um, he, you know, he was the, he, he wasn't on the, any, on any Sunday movie. And so when he came up like the next year, I think he probably, probably when you had him on, if he, if he talked about it, you know, that always, I think always burned his butt that he was, he just missed being in the movie on any Sunday, but you know, for all of us, you know, when he came on the scene, racing you know against the the factory harley team on a yamaha he's kind of you know the underdog and and you know and he won you know he, he won and he was he was kind of cocky and he was a new guy and and he was you know there was a lot of buzz about kenny and of course we all at that time you know all the bikes we were riding at a yamaha mini enduro and then 100 and 125 and everything i rode till i got a, an astro and 75 was the Yamaha. And then when I was a novice, you know, I was on back on Yamahas. And, and so, you know, everybody kind of looked up to Kenny and, and of course, 
you know, just prior to when I raced against him as an expert, he had made the switch to go to Europe and do the Grand Prix and, and road race. And so that, you know, he had, I didn't know that really if I'd ever get the chance to race against him. And so he, you know, as much as he was over there racing the world championships, Kenny always, you know, I know he wanted to do the double at Houston. It was a big thing for him to do the double. And, um, he, you know, won the TT the night before when I was that year in 1980. And, and so he got off the line first and I got off the line about fifth and I was able to, to get through the pack and get up on him, you know, four or five laps in and, and, uh, and from, you know, he was riding, um, I was actually two gear in my bike and he was riding his bike one gear. So he was, he was carrying a lot, you know, carrying a lot of speed momentum through the corners. And I was squaring the, the corners a little bit and, and doing a little more of a diamond, uh, thing in the corners. And he and I just went, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, finally, you know, a couple laps from the end, um, you know, I, I managed to, uh, to, to get in, you know, get into the corner and, and block his line just a little bit where he had to get off the, the throttle. And, and like I said, he was one gearing it. I was able to get away from him a little bit. And I, you know, after I got by him and, and start and got away from him a little bit, I think it, you know, he, uh, you know, I don't know if he, if he made a mistake or, or just kind of, you know, he realized he wasn't going to catch me. And then, you know, Mickey got by him right there at the end, a lap or two from the end and wound up getting second. Kenny was third, but, um, you know, I still, uh, you know, was a huge fan and still, you know, fan of Kenny's we've become friends, you know, since then. And, uh, but yeah, I was, um, you know, that, that was at that, up to that, that point, you know, that was, you know, by far, you know, the biggest thing, um, not only that happened to get beat Kenny, but also, you know, I was, I think I was flat broke when I went down there and, um, and so, you know, went in the national down there kind of, kind of helped me, got me, uh, you know, through to the next races early, the first part of that season. So yeah, it was, it was, it was all good. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that story. That's a uh, really cool. Just, yeah. Growing up watching your idol and then going out and racing him and beating him. That's just, yeah, I love that shit. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I talked about it a little bit, but you're on the, you're on the Harley for a while and then mid eighties, the RS seven fifty was, was making a charge and you switched to that motorcycle and it was actually really good for your career. You, you rode that bike. I, I don't want to say better than the Harley, but it fit your style. I feel like a lot better. And you had a lot of success right out of the gate on that RS seven fifty. Yeah. And you rode that bike for, I want to say a long time. I know it was like probably 10 years close to. So, um, talk about that switch from the, the, the Harley to the Honda and what that time was like back then for guys. Um, were they, cause you were on a privateer Honda, were they easily, um, could you easily get one? Were they expensive? Uh, talk about that from like a privateer standpoint. Yeah, they were, they were a little bit expensive, you know, compared to an XR, you know, I had, from my, you know, that, that rookie season, um, you know, kind of back, you know, a little bit of that, that rookie season or not the rookie season, the second year when I beat, uh, Kenny, um, right after that, uh, I had a, uh, 
No, I had to have my appendix taken out. So I missed the first couple of races uh, on the West Coast, the Sacramento Mile and, and um, San Jose. And um, um, David, my brother, had gone on out there. He was a rookie expert, and um, he had he'd gone on out. And then uh, I made it out to Ascot, and we got to race at Ascot. I didn't, didn't make the national at Ascot, made the trophy main and, you know, finished third or fourth or something like that. Um, then we went to, um, you know, we came back East and went to Louisville and that was an unfortunate race where, you know, spectator got over the fence there during the heat race that I was in Hank Scott, Randy Goss, Ricky Graham, me, Bubba Schobert. We had a stacked heat, my brother, David, and, uh, you know, and, and the spectator stopped right on the groove as we were completing the first lap. I was leading Bubba was second. And we kind of just, it was like, just, whoa. And kind of, you know, here's, there's somebody on the track. And I kind of just, you know, barely moved to the, tried to move to the right just a little bit, you know, and uh, unfortunately David was the only David, everybody kind of split. And there was the guy standing there right in the middle of the groove. And David laid the bike down, hit the guy and it, he had ruptured his aorta and he ended up passing. And the guy that he hit ended up, you know, passing uh, about a month, month later after being in the hospital. But, um, that, um, that was, you know, the, the, you know, the, that same season, 1980 that I won Houston. And, uh, and then I sat around home a little bit, you know, didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Didn't know if I was going to race, didn't know what I should do. And, you know, finally my mom said to me, you know, I, she goes, you know, I don't want you to race, but it's your life. I want you to do what you want to do. And, you know, I'll, whatever you decide, I'll support you. And I said, well, I don't really know what I want to do, but I guess if I go ride, I'll, I'll know, um, you know, what, if I should keep racing or not, you know, if I get on a bike, I'll know if I still have the passion to do it, you know, or what I should do. And so I went to the, the next race was the Santa Fe TT national. They'd run a couple of races, um, um, between Louisville and Santa Fe. And, and unfortunately another rider was, was killed the next week at, uh, Harrington, a kid named Steve Dollefeld, who was a rookie the same year I was in 79. But, um, anyway, I went to Santa Fe and, and won. Uh, won the TT national. Um, you know, I wasn't expected to win. I wasn't even expected to run good or, you know, do well or whatever. And I ended up laughing all the way up to like third place. You know, it was kind of one of those, I think kind of one of those God moments that, you know, my brother and God were giving me an emphatic, this is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, uh, cause there was, the, you know, there was no way I'd been sitting around home depressed for, you know, two or three weeks and, not done anything, hadn't ridden, hadn't done anything and went there and, and, you know, just, um, his funny, Mike kid, um, Mike had, uh, broke, he was in the main event, his bike had broke or something. And he, so he was in the infield of the TT. So he's kind of, you know, held there. He couldn't get across the track, uh, to, you know, to get to the pits during the race, we had to just sit there. And when I came by, you know, after he broke down, he was sitting, you know, he, he, people would give you, you know, how they hold their hands up and hold their hands way apart to tell you you've got a big lead. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, yeah. you know, I come by the first time and Mike's got his hands up and he's like, Hey dude, you know, <laughs> you got a big lead. And so, you know, the next time I come around and he's, he's kind of, you know, like moving his hands like further apart, you know, waving them kind of like, Hey dude, you got a really big lead, you know? And then the next, <laughs> next lap I come around and he's jumping up and down, 
you know, and he's, you know, you, you got a big lead, you know, and then, and then the next time I come by and he's taking his hands going from high to low, like going slow down, slow down. There's, you know, I could hear him when I'm going by him. and, uh, you know, and I was like really not in control. Um, I was just riding the thing, riding. you know, yeah, and I wasn't, I wasn't even riding hard. You know, it was like, I was just riding. I was like, I don't, I was like, what is his problem? I'm not even, I'm, I am, I'm taking it easy, you know? And so, but anyway, uh, you know, I won that race and, and fast forward to the Honda thing, uh, for four, well, almost five years, I struggled along, you know, on a privateer Harley, um, you know, making an, a, a national here and there, uh, very, you know, very limited success, um, and got to the end of 84 had been, you know, I, I thought after Santa Fe, I was like, okay, you know, I got, I got the, I got the message, you know, I'm supposed to race, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. And after four years, almost five years of, you know, kicking, you know, basically getting kicked in the head, you know, I was like, well, you know, what the heck kind of sign were you giving me here? You know? And, uh, so I told my mom at the end of, you know, during 84, um, you know, I think I'm probably going to give it up at the end of the year you know i've, I've struggled you know it's pretty much broke and you know and, and the harley was was the bike to pretty much the bike to be on up to that point uh, honda had just come out and their factory team was doing really well but it was it was hard to make a harley run you know your dad did it you know i mean you know what it was you probably remember a little bit about what that was like you know it was hard to keep them together uh parts were sometimes hard to get you know from the factory uh if you weren't one of the kind of the chosen chosen few you know i kid i kid text peel um you know when i was a uh, junior i broke a set of rods and you know tex had like 10 sets brand new sitting on his shelf and uh of course you know he had ricky graham riding for him and and i you know and and i'm uh you know needing a set of rods and he said well i can't let you have one of these new ones i might need those but he said i've got a set that's on the fourth overboard i'll sell you those for the price of a new set you know, and I was happy to get them, you know, so that, that, but that was how it was, you know, talking about asking how it was as a privateer on the Harleys. Yeah. So anyway, he text, text told me, he said, well, I can't sell you a new set. I might need those, but he said, I've got a, I've got a set that's on their fourth, you know, the last bore, uh, you know, I'll say set of those for what a new set cost. And I was happy to get them, you know, and uh, he tech probably didn't remember that, you know, but I was, I needed a set of rods. And so, you know, that got me going, but, uh, but that's how it was, you know, if you weren't one of the top guys, you know, you might struggle to get, get rods. And so, um, I was going to, you know, kind of thought I'd, I'd, you know, tried it long enough, you know, giving it a good shot, you know, for about five years, didn't win a national after, you know, one, two, my, my sophomore season, the one Houston and one Santa Fe and, and, uh, and then went, you know, five, four more years, uh, with no, no national wins and, no podiums or anything. And so I was getting ready to, to wind it up. And I went to uh, Peoria in 84 and, and, um, a guy that had hung around at, uh, up in the, when I was riding, David and I were riding for Viper frames in Champaign, Illinois. He used to come up and sit with him and his wife would come up and sit with, with me or, you know, and David, when David was alive and, you know, watch us while we worked on our bikes and stuff. And, uh, you know, he showed up at, at Peoria and said, you know, I've been watching you and you've been struggling. And he said, you know, my company's done real well. And, you know, I'd like to see what you could do, you know, on, on some good equipment. And, um, so I'm going to sponsor you next year and hire a mechanic and get a box van and get a couple of bikes. And as it turned out, you know, we, we decided to, to go with Honda's, uh, Honda had 
you know, made the RS engine available. And, um, and, you know, it was kind of a little bit, not untested, but, um, you know, we knew that according to the guys that were riding parts were available, uh, for them readily, you know, there weren't any, nobody got special treatment as far as whether or not you got the parts and Harley was a little bit political in that way. You know, the guys that were connected got the stuff. And so we, we made that decision and, um, and that, that first year in 85, you know, was the first part of the year we spent kind of getting the bike together and getting it developed. And, uh, late in the season, you know, I won the Ascot half mile national in 85 and that kind of, um, you know, uh, fortunately skip came along or I would have retired from racing at the end of 84, but skip and Elaine Moret, you know, from, from Champaign, Illinois, uh, were the ones that kind of, uh, you know, kept me racing and, you know, and, and got me, you know, winning, I guess, again. And, um, you know, part of that, you know, not winning was the equipment. Part of it was just, you know, after, um, losing my brother, you know, it took me that long probably to really get my head, head back into racing. You know, I didn't, um, uh, you know, I, I, I was, I was there and I knew I was supposed to be there, but it, you know, it, took a you know a whole series of things happening then come along and throwing their support behind me and giving me the equipment I needed and stuff and and so that you know and I did my riding style whatever uh did seem to to you know um match the the Honda well you know they they're very much like a Harley only they had just a little bit more over rev I guess you'd say they'd rev a little more um you know you could ride them you know a little bit higher in the RPM range and yeah, it, it really suited me, and you know, and I won several several nationals after that. Wow, yeah, that's that's one bike, man. That if I if I could ever get a chance to ride a good one, I'd love to get on and and just ride one. I feel like I've ridden everything else, it seems like, but that bike's so iconic. And actually, looking at the results, um, I was looking up some results on Bert Sumner's website uh, the other day, or maybe it was yesterday, and you actually won. Um, the Middletown New York, uh, national in 87. And that's actually, um, that's actually a pretty special track for me. Cause that was always my dad's favorite racetrack. He always talked about Middletown yeah. orange County fair and in, in Middletown, New York, that was like his favorite track. And I have a picture of me doing a victory lap with him there. Um, it was like a regional race or something. And, um, so I just thought that was cool. You got to, yep. you got the race and, and win that win at that track. Like they don't really have, races there anymore they had some indoor races there for a long time and then they had a um we actually raced on that track it was like four or five years ago they had a one-off half mile that uh keith jacobson put on and i actually got to ride it and uh i mean i didn't think it was anything special but my dad my dad loved that track so that that was cool um saw that on the results sheet yeah it was an old old like old fairgrounds or old race you know it wasn't wasn't a fancy place but it was you know iconic as part of the the series, I guess you'd say, you know, I mean, a lot yeah. of guys liked it and it was, you know, it was a kind of a clay groove, you know, racetrack and yeah, your dad went well there. He did. He, he went fast there. Yeah. Yeah. It, I just like seeing that the history of it. Um, well, you, you have 10 career wins, 32 podium finishes. You're very diverse. Like you've talked about Santa Fe TT, you talked about, uh, the short track Astrodome. Uh, obviously we just talked about some of the half miles you've done well at, um, I want to say you won Lima, um, you've won clay half miles. You've always done really well on the miles. 
I don't even want to bring up how many second and third place finishes you have, but that was the only one that you, that only discipline that is off kind of the, uh, uh, the record sheet. Yeah. You, you didn't win the mile. How important was that to you? The, the kind of dirt track grand slam. I mean, was it a big deal? Was it, eh, you know, obviously you want to win everything, but does that sting a little bit? I mean, I don't know. I'm just, just from a fan's. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no doubt. There was, um, um, you know, to be, that was kind of one of the things that the movie on any Sunday kind of stressed was, you know, to be champion, you had to be good in all disciplines, you know, and, and, um, and so that was definitely something all us kids kind of, you know, were striving to, to be was, was good in all of them. Uh, Cause we thought we had to be, if we wanted to be champions. And so, um, you know, the, the, the mile thing, you know, what there was, there were, you know, and this, there's guys, of course, he's no longer here. Uh, Ricky Graham, there was a, there was a, you know, the Indy mile used to be a double header and, uh, we raced, uh, a Saturday night and then a Sunday. And on, I got fourth on Saturday night and on Sunday, you know, I felt like I won the race, uh, drafted by Ricky at the line. Uh, he, I went around the outside of him, drafted him at the line. He, you know, after the race, he, he was, you know, giving me the thumbs up, you know, I was coming around expecting to get the flag, but because I went around the outside of him, um, you know, the, the scoring ladies at that time were at a little table that kind of sat at the start finish line on the racetrack itself. You know, they were sitting down there on the track and they ended up when I came around, you know, they were kind of like, it looked like they weren't sure. And they ended up giving, you know, pointing at Ricky and giving him the flag. And he like, looked at me like, you know, shaking his head. No, like, you know, dude, but you know, he was, at that in 86, he had been dropped by the factory and he was a privateer. And so he's like, uh, you know, I need the points. I need the money. He didn't know, you know, he couldn't, he wasn't going to go argue, I guess, with him. But, uh, that, you know, he, he was like, you know, just like was looking at me and, you know, shaking his head and, you know, and he like, (sighs) I can't imagine it was done that way. Like, Oh, that's so hard to even, cause of how close those races were. Like how many guys, I've heard it like Parker was good at it. I heard even when he didn't win, he would, he would act like he won and cheer. And then they'd give him the win based on, I forget who said that. I think maybe Wayne Rainey said it. Uh, Was that, I don't know. Somebody was a race. Maybe that Parker was cheering and he didn't win, but I can't believe that. I can't believe it was done that way. That's, that's just crazy. I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously technology once again was different then, but yeah. golly, I bet that would, yeah, that would piss me off. There was that one was other, insane. one other time at, you know, later on, it was a few years later at DuCoin, uh, same thing, me, Rodney Ferris and, uh, Davey Camlin, uh, race, uh, for the win and, and Davey, uh, same thing. They were, you know, the gals lined up, sat at a table there at the start finish line, uh, you know, on the racetrack down along the inside rail. And, but Davey, he, you know, he turned and went, he, you know, he went down the inside of the straightaway, you know, I mean, he was, he was like, wasn't like, even like he was on the inside of the groove. He was off like, you know, way, way down to the inside. He really tucked down and I just was coming around, you know, around kind of following him off the corner. And when he turned down, I just kept my momentum and went up. Well, um, you know, they gave him the win that day um also and that you know and i was sure that i had won you know you you've gone across the line enough you can tell you know if you get by a guy or you don't at the line you know and um and ultimately kind of funny thing was the cycle news 
came out a week later and showed the finish line, you know, and the, and most of the stripe was gone, but down where Davey was, there was still a little bit of a stripe and where I was right up at the top, there was still a little bit of a stripe and I was there before him, you know, but, um, they gave him the win that day too. So there was two times, you know, when I felt like I won two, two miles, I didn't get credit for him. You know, that's the way it goes. Um, you know, there was, there were, there was no, yeah. no cameras at the time. And, and so, but yeah, you know, I won short tracks and one TTs, one half miles. And I went on, you know, I wanted Ascot twice, uh, you know, one at Lyme on a cushion, you know, one at, uh, Middletown, Oklahoma city and Sturgis and won the short track at Daytona. Those are the kind of the races I won. And, um, you know, the, the, um, the Honda, you know, like I said, suited me. I was able to, to figure it out on different kinds of surfaces, different kinds of racetracks. And, and, you know, I think, you know, what it was like, you know, for me as a privateer, I wasn't having a lot of success. And so I wasn't getting offered, you know, a textile Harley, you know, I wasn't getting offered a Brownwood Harley or a, you know, a factory Harley or whatever. And so, you know, if it hadn't been for the Honda, I might not have ever really got a chance to win any other nationals besides those first two that I won on Yamaha's, you know, in 1980. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm still mind blown over the, uh, <laughs> the mile stuff. Like I'm just thinking of all the races where there's more than two or three guys, somewhere there's, there's more and they're zooming across the line. How, how they, I can't believe they didn't even take a Polaroid, right? Ah, I could, I could go on <laughs> forever about that, but uh, yeah. So, so you, you stuck with the RS for quite a while and then you went back to Harley. Um, technically, I guess it says you retired quote unquote, 1999. Um, I guess that was full-time racing. You retired. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so that was your, that was kind of your, you know, your, your every week job up until 1999. Yeah. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it, during that era, Ronnie, like the nineties, like I'm obviously I grew up in the camel pro days. Um, I was a little kid watching you guys race from the, I think I was at my first camel pro race when I was two yeah. weeks old. Um, so I've been, I've been at it a long time and you know, just that, that era to me is, um, it's just phenomenal. Like the colors, the set, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the racetrack, the riders names on the on the tents, you know, they were all done in a, a similar font. Um, the autograph sheets, just everything about that era is just something that I'm super passionate about. And I like to ask some of the guys what, um, or who, who was obviously it was, you know, Parker car Graham, but who were your biggest rivals in that time? Um, it was stacked fields of course, but who were, who was the guy you always found yourself racing with, whether it was for, the last transfer, the last podium spot. Um, who was the guy you kind of maybe had some, the most run-ins with during, during those early nineties. In the early nineties, you know, there was, um, one on the Hondas, you know, I, I mentioned Skip and Elaine Moret. I wrote for them originally and a guy named Dennis Harris was my mechanic. And, uh, you know, we, we had success, one Ascot and Lima and Middletown. Um, you know, and then they, they, their business slowed down somewhat and they, they ended up, you know, uh, deciding that they, they couldn't afford it any longer. And so I kind of did things on my own for a year or two in 88 and did, didn't win a national in 88. And then, um, um, in 89, George Garvis, who had, uh, uh you know, a couple of Hondas uh, and a Honda dealership in Des Moines, Iowa, he approached me about riding, riding for him. 
And, um, and so in 89, I started riding, let's see, was it 89? Yeah. Started riding for George in in 89, uh, or did I ride for myself? Did I ride for George in 90? I guess it was, uh, yeah, I think it was in 89 and started riding for George. And, uh, we didn't win a national that year, but we finished, I think, sixth in the points. Um, and then in 90, um, uh, we, you know, I, I, after the first, I think race of the year, I didn't finish any worse than fourth all year long. And, um, and I finished third in the points that year. And I won, won Ascot, the final race at Ascot that year. And, uh, I only got one national win, but the consistency, you know, it was, it was Scotty Parker and Chris Carr were the two factory Harley guys and, and me pretty much every week. And so, those guys, you know, and I went back and forth, back and forth in 1991, the following year. Um, I won three nationals that year. Um, one kicked off the season opener in Daytona and then one Oklahoma city at the first race, you know, the year I promoted it. And then won the, the Sturgis, the rapid city half mile national, uh, led, you know, the, um, uh, Oh, the, the uh, Hagerstown, national all the way to the end uh pegram larry pegram got by me he must follow me he was on a honda also and and you know found just a little bit better line and he got by me a lap or two from the end so we were just you know real close to winning four that year but finished third again that year you know and and um um was just a you know a few points out of the championship lead i think with two or three races to go on and got tangled up in a crash at pomona with uh steve moorhead and and joe roder and cracked my tailbone and then didn't get the, you know, I think I rode the last race, but didn't, didn't end up doing very well, but, um, got, um, wound up, um, you know, third that year, but that was, you know, those were, you know, probably the most, you know, RJ Reynolds was involved. Um, you know, I was the, the top guy on, on a Honda at that time and was racing against Scotty and Chris every week. And, you know, we had, you know, back and forth battles. Uh, it's funny the, um, you know, with, with Scotty and Chris, those guys, it didn't seem to matter. I don't know you know, I'm a little bit bigger than both of them, you know, as far as height and, and weight, I'm a little bit bigger than, you know, five ten, about 160 pounds. And, but those guys, it didn't seem to matter on the miles. Uh, I could beat them on the half miles, but on the miles, it didn't matter if I was in their draft coming off a of turn four I couldn't get by them ever before the start finish line or if I was um, in front of them, they'd blow by me easy before the start finish line. It was, it was just so frustrating. I mean, it was, you know, cause it was a lot of miles back at that time. If you, you know, you remember, I know, uh, you know, there was a, a 18 yep. race series, like 10 or 12 of them, you know, that, you know, were miles. And then there was a few half miles oh, yeah. short track TT. Uh, but, you know, and so, yeah, that was, that was, there wasn't really a lot of TTs or short tracks back then. I talk about it yeah. a lot, but you guys really only had like once they took away at um, Astro. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, he, um, Astrodome. There was really only Peoria and Daytona. Yeah, um, and then you mentioned the miles. There was like Sacramento, um, San Jose. There was uh, oh man, Syracuse. there was there was Indy, obviously Springfield, Syracuse. Yep, yeah. yeah, there was. A lot of different yeah, miles. Ducoin, um, Springfield, yeah, schedule. San Jose, Sacramento. Well, it wasn't. Headers. It wasn't as diverse. Yeah, like it wasn't a diverse schedule. Um, like like there was in the '80s. You know, obviously, it, it went from super diverse with 
um, that, you know, with road races. <laughs> and then it went to pretty much just one short track, one TT. Um, I've joked around before with Chris about it, but he was like a really diverse rider and he never, like, he only had one short track and one TT a year where Parker was a good miler and like the schedule was good for that. Like it had a lot of miles. Yep. So, um, no, nah, just interesting that you brought that yeah. up. So, Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, there's obviously Carr and Parker and Graham and Atherton and Peg. You mentioned a few of them already. Moorhead, Rotor, like that era was just stacked. So yeah, I just didn't know if you had had one guy that you kind of had. Probably know, one of those probably, deals if, Yeah. If I had to single out somebody that it seemed like we raced together a lot and, and, and the thing is we're great friends and really close was Ted Booty. You know, it seemed like Ted and I, yeah, okay. Ted and I seemed to wind up, you know, in a lot of heats together and racing together. And, you know, he was, you know, he ended up marrying a, a girl, uh, Terry McDonald, you know, from Oklahoma. And so he, you know, and he moved to Oklahoma. And so we kind of became neighbors and, um, you know, and, and we were both the privateers, you know, on Hondas and, um, uh, you know, Ted, you know, Ted was one of the, I don't know if you, you were old enough to remember Ted um i don't know if you're born yet but um uh he was you know one of the nicest guys in fact he helped me the first national i won um at ascot in in 85 um you know ted was really the one he had he'd won the race in the spring and we had basically virtually the same motorcycle and so you know he said yeah this is you know we, we had the same forks and all the same stuff and he said yeah you know he says put this much air in the forks and set you know the the compression it here and do the you know the rebound here and put the preload here and do you know and i ended up going out and beating him he ended up making the podium that night and so you know we were on the podium together me and him and bubba but uh yeah ted was ted was a guy that probably you know as a privateer that you know we were doing our doing the same thing and you know both being at that time racing out of oklahoma and stuff we ted was probably who i was i don't know most connected to i guess you'd say you know yeah and i i don't really remember i don't i mean i know obviously as a as a student of the sport i i know ted booty's name but i never really got to watch him race i don't yeah i was born in 87 so i was i don't really have any great memories until the early 90s but i heard you're not the only guy to say they've they've gotten dicey with ted booty so um yeah so that's that's uh but I heard he, I heard he no, was, a he guy, was so yeah, he's a great, great racer, great guy. You know, not, I don't know if it, by dicey, yeah. you mean if we had like run-ins cause we never really, you know, wasn't anything like that. Ted was just a good, hard racing, um, uh, you know, guy, but, but never, you know, he, we, I never had any, any, uh, bad blood between us. You know, we were always, you know, racing, racing no, that's good. hard yeah, and close good. and, but, you know, but, um, yeah. Yeah, Rodney, I guess, you know, if there's anybody, you know, just to throw it out there, you know, Rodney, Rodney was a guy that was, was, I mean, he was gung ho, buddy, and he was, you know, and he, he didn't make any apologies <laughs> for it. And Rodney was just, you know, he was hanging it out. And, you know, you, I mean, I loved racing with him, uh, but, you know, because you, you, but you knew, you know, you, you knew everybody and you knew, you know, what the deal was. And Rodney was just, he was, yeah. he was all about it. You know, he was going for it uh katie bar the door and uh just you know and that of course the fans loved him because of that too you know he was he was he was fun to watch and um yeah he grew up uh i mean maryland for where he's from is only an hour hour and a half from where where i'm at now so 
in Maryland, uh, Rodney's legend, um, you know, just all the great things he he's done. And I know he hung out with my dad quite yep. a bit too. I've heard some good, uh, some good road stories yeah. of, uh, of him and Rodney. And, uh, I mean, you also, you also grew up in the, you, you raced in the rusty Rogers era, yep. man. So I, you know, that was probably interesting as well. Um, definitely a lot of guys back then that said, yeah, rusty, rusty and, you know, I guess Rodney, you know, were I guess if you say that were similar riders, you know, they were just real aggressive riders, hard riding, you know, rode hard all the time from, you know, and, uh, but you know, there was, yeah, it was, you know, uh, there wasn't anybody honestly that, uh, that I just like didn't didn't couldn't say that I just there wasn't anybody that I didn't get along with or that I didn't you know want to see at races or whatever we were all you know pretty pretty close knit even back then you know there were some guys you like I say you you knew yeah, raced harder awesome. or raced you know a little more on the edge and you know and and so you just you know made your adjusted your riding you know to to suit whatever whoever you're racing oh, with yeah. you know so it was yeah. yeah. Nah, that's, that's awesome. That's good info. Um, I got one more question for you and then we'll move on to our last segment, but you mentioned it already. And a lot of fans, um, I did a Mount Rushmore of iconic racetracks and flat track and Ascot was almost on everybody's iconic top four racetracks of all time in flat track. And I wanted to ask you about Ascot. Um, I've heard stories about it. My dad always joked around with me. You're not a real man until you rode Ascot and and things of that nature. And I've never been there obviously, and never really, I don't even know if I've seen any good footage of it. Oh, I lie. I did see, I did see some footage of your, your, um, your last win there, but talk about that racetrack and how special it was to win that, that last ever race. Well, we, you know, the, we heard about it, you know, growing up, um, even in Oklahoma, you know, guys, the pros talking about it. And of course they, uh, talked about how fat it was, fast it was. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, Randy Goss, um, you know, Randy, uh, made the comment one time and it kind of stuck with me, uh, but I think before I ever got to go out there, but he said, you know, Randy was running to be kind of like an outlaw and he kind of talked real low and quiet. And he says, yeah, he says, uh, Ascot's bad fast. You know, it's bad. It's bad fast. <laughs> And anyway, you know, it's like, we didn't know what that meant. You know I mean? What, okay. But it's bad fast. What does that mean? But, you know, we got out there and it was, you know, we'd heard all about it and we knew about the regulars going fast there. The guys, you know, they had it all dialed in. And, and when we got there, kind of, you found out why, you know, it was, it was prepared, you know, it was a clay track. Uh, they'd water the, the hell out of it and then they would harrow it. They'd dig it up, you know? And, um, you know, and, and so it was not something that, you know, you, everybody was, you know, that you couldn't hardly put your foot down, you know, you had to hold your foot up in the corner and it was really sticky. Uh, you know, the track was and, and, uh, but it was, you know, and that's what made it so fast. It was so sticky. It was, it was relatively flat. There wasn't a lot of banking. Um, but because it was, um, so, uh, you know, so, so usually wet and dug up, harrowed up or whatever that you know there's a lot of grip a lot of bite and so and you could run all over the racetrack because of that and generally you know you'd, you'd get in the corner and make a mistake or something you'd run up the racetrack but it you know you could gather it back up because in a lot of the racetracks now unfortunately they're you know if you get off the groove there there's nothing to, to to grab hold of you know you lose so much time so ascot you know made made 
you know, made for close racing because guys were all over the place. Now, the, you know, the other story that I asked Scott is it was that the dirt, because it was so muddy and so harrowed up and dug up and everything. It, I mean, it, you know, you see, you ride probably, you've ridden Lima and some other cushions and stuff and you get sprayed and you feel your bike bogged down. Um, when you get hit by the spray, when you get hit oh, yeah. by the spray at Ascot, uh, it wasn't just that it would slow your bike down. It would, you know, it would feel like it was going to knock you off the bike. The stuff that was hitting you, you know, um, I wish I, I wish I had some pictures, uh, if we had cell phones back then, like we do now, I'm sure we'd, there'd be a lot of pictures, but <laughs> the you know you'd come off the track literally and your your whole chest the inside of your legs your you know your uh I've heard. inside of your yeah, legs we had your leg out would be getting sprayed uh, you you'd be purple completely just black then you put cardboard you, isn't that where you guys started putting cardboard in your leathers cardboard yeah take cardboard and put it down in the chest of your leathers uh the night that i won uh in 85 won the national there i was wearing a jt chest protector um, you know, because, and, and hand guards, you know, you had to wear hand guards and stuff. I mean, it was just there, you know, they talked about, the, you know, they, they ran, you know, figure eight there, they ran sprint cars and they ran every kind of car there, every kind of motorcycle they ran all the time. And they always talked about, well, there's nuts and there's bolts and there's all kinds of stuff in, in the dirt and mixed in. And so, but it was, I think it was just the, mainly the, the clods, you know, and, and it was so wet and heavy when that stuff would hit you, it was you know, um, you, and especially when you first went there, it was such a shock to your system. And it was a lot of guys never would could get over the shock of getting beat up so bad. And it was like, you know, honestly, for me, it was like, um, you know, uh, and this didn't normally work for me because, uh, you know, my style was kind of, I tried to be smooth and, you know, wasn't like really, no, I don't know, super aggressive or anything, but it, I finally got it in my head. I was like, I was, I got pissed and I said that, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm getting to the front. I'm not, I'm not letting off. I'm going to the front, you know, and, and that's what it took, you know, to get there. And some guys could, could get over that, you know, that kind of thing. And some guys couldn't, you know, and it was, but it, it did, yeah. it, it just beat you to, to crap, you know, and, um, and yeah, and it could, yeah, it could, it could jump up and hurt you because it was so sticky and stuff. You know, if you got off, you know, you didn't, you see the, yeah. the pictures of Ascot and all the bikes flying up in the air and everything. It was because it, everything grabbed, you know, you didn't slide. And so, it, you know, it, yeah. a lot of things really quick there and guys got hurt. And unfortunately, you know, it's where Ted Booty lost his life and, um, you know, just, but it was, yeah, it was, it was bad fast gnarly racetrack yeah i've heard heard a lot of stories about it it's uh it's funny though the the first couple times i got sprayed out on a cushion half mile in the expert twins class i'm like man i need to qualify better and learn how to get good starts because it's uh it's just crazy how much how much better it is on tracks like that being out front um it like i've never done ascot so I've, i've heard that is that was like the worst one but on some of these cushions, like even Springfield mile sometimes in the first practice or two, when it's a little loose, you're coming off the corner getting sprayed. And it's like, you're just like, it's, it's like you're getting shot. Like it's, it's yeah. painful. Um, yeah, <clears throat> that's what I always heard. That's all my dad always said about, about Ascot, the, the cardboard thing. And yeah, I don't know, just another good memory I had of my dad talking about racing was Ascot and 
and seeing the picture of you, uh, just beautiful mustache on the podium. <laughs> I just I love that photo. <laughs> you just so had, good. To bring, had to bring up um, the stash, didn't you? you? Just had to do it. Dude, the stash is oh my goodness. <laughs> I uh I can't even, man. I I, I can't grow one, but I'm so <laughs> jealous. Uh yeah, I <clears throat> I love that that photo. It's I think it's you and Sammy Tanner yeah. and um is it JC? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that photo is epic. But uh um yeah, our last segment we do on our show, it's called the higher low line. It's kind of this or that. Um pick one or the other and a brief explanation on, on why you chose it. But, uh, for this first one, I got tougher competitor for you, Scott Parker, or Chris Carr. Uh, you know, I'd have to probably say, um, Scotty, you know, and, and Chris was, you know, don't get me wrong that, you know, their records speak for themselves. But, you know, Scotty, I remember Scotty getting off at Oklahoma City when he clipped Chris. Chris went down, got up, clipped Scotty. You know, it was a couple of weeks later, Scotty was racing. I remember crashing. Scotty and I, they, they had some issue with some um, stuff they put on the racetrack. And, um, you know, we went down and I remember restarting the race. And Scotty's bike was all bent up and, and he ended up winning that day, you know, with the bike was all twisted up and stuff. And, yeah, Scotty was, you know, he, he, you know, he, he had the factory ride and had all the, the things behind him, but sure can't take anything away from him. He was, he was one, one tough dude, you know, determined to win. And, and he was, you know, another thing that, you know, about, um, Scott, uh, was Scotty was terrible on grooves. You know, when he was, he, you know, he was on miles, he was, he could get up in the cushion and, and go for it. But, you know, Scotty was determined to figure out how to win, to win championships and stuff. And, and he figured out how to ride grooves. You know, he figured out how to slow himself down. And yeah, Scotty, Scotty was, you know, he was all that in a bag of chips. What was the points like for you guys back then? Was it 23, 19, 16, 15, yeah, 14? 20, like how, 20, what 16, was that? 13, 13, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Oh, wow. So 2016, 13. So that was, that's a big, so it, it paid better to like, obviously if you won a handful of races that that's, you know, that paid right. points, you know? Um, I mean, that, that, that's the obvious, but when I turned pro, it was only 23 to 19 for first and second. Now it's 25 to 20. So at the end of the year, like if you're winning four or five races, you know, no matter how you do on the other events, um, you know, the fourth through sixth, they don't really matter. That's only two points, but if you're winning or if you're getting fourth, um, it's like 10 points. So it's, yeah, it's, you know, wins obviously pay, pay really well. Um, you know, that's obviously that I was curious on the points, the points, uh, back then, but okay. Next one, um, more raw talent, Ricky Graham or Kenny Roberts. Wow. Um, Man, I get, you know, this is one of those questions, you know, kind of one of those things, even without the question, you know, I kind of think about, um, <laughs> you know, the, um, I didn't get to see, you know, it's pretty much grew up with, you know, Ricky was a year or two ahead of me. Uh, Kenny, you know, was several years ahead of me, six, seven years. So I only got to race with Kenny a little bit, but, you know, to, to, to what, you know, to try to put things, you know, compare, you know, things and, and look at the, sort of the things that you, you know, only as a rider, you know, you can, you can understand, you know, and I can understand, um, 
you know, Kenny was riding Yamahas against the Harleys and winning, you know, not all the time, but he was, you know, he won miles on the twin Yamaha against the Harleys and he won half miles and, you know, and you know, the, um, you've probably seen like I have, I wasn't there that night. Um, but I saw the video, Kenny riding the TZ at Indy, you know, and, and hearing the stories, the guys talk about, you know, what, um, you know, what he did on that thing, you know, and, um, and, you know, and then watching, of course, what he did when he went to Europe, you know, and really revolutionized road racing. Um, as much as it pains me to say it, you know, and I say that kind of jokingly, um, as Kenny and I are buddies, and I just saw him last week at the hot shoe hall of fame thing. Um, Kenny, you know, Kenny was probably, um, you know, the, the most talented guy, uh, given, you know, given, you know, what he was riding, uh, what he had to do, uh, you know, just his mindset, um, um, you know, and, and having said that, you know, Ricky Graham, you know, was a close second. He was, you know, I mean, Ricky just, you know, was amazing. You know, I, I raced with him the year that he, he won the 12 races and won the championship in 93. And, and it was just, you know, I, at that time, you know, I thought I was riding pretty good. You know, I was, you know, I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was doing, doing well, you know, and then, you know, one, you know, uh, but, well, you guys were all in your prime. I mean, it's not like Carr, Parker, you, right. Warhead, you know, you guys were all like pretty much in your prime. Um, it wasn't like a shallow year. Um, he just came in and won 12 races against eight or 10 of the best ever in their prime. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, this made us all look like, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was really, you know, there's sometimes when even as a racer, you know, you can't help, but, you know, and, and, something like that be in awe um you know uh of, of what somebody else that you're racing with is doing even though you're supposed to be kind of trying to beat those guys and and uh focused on your own stuff but yeah that it you know got deep into that season and we kind of realized we were really seeing something special and and it was um yeah it was it was it was impressive and and you know ricky had his demons and um and it's, you know, if, if Ricky could have controlled his demons, uh, throughout his career, you know, my answer to your question might be, might be different. You know, if, if Ricky right, had, right. you know, been able to, to accomplish because, um, just r- racing with him, uh, you know, we were great friends and, and I loved racing with him. He was, he was another guy that was pretty aggressive, you know, would put a ride in there on you, you know, and, but, uh, but wasn't dangerous, you know, but would just, was you know he was so confident in, in his own abilities you know he could he could do things with a bike and uh you know and and like i said you know do do things to you that guys like randy cleek and and terry Puvi do to us when we were learning you know as kids you know racing indoors and stuff he could ricky could just go right by it you know with six inches of space he could somehow fit you know a a twin cylinder dirt tracker you know between you and the fin- in you know, right. inside rail or whatever, and just go right by you, you know, and, um, yeah, but, but very good. But yeah, I'd have to, have to say, you know, just given the equipment and all those things and, and seeing the, you know, how diverse Kenny was, you know, he won on every short tracks, TTs, 
miles, half miles road race, you know, excelled, he could excel at all of them, you know, and, and on different equipment, equipment that really you shouldn't have been able to excel on in my, you know, my mind. Yeah, we had Steve Moorhead on the show and he pretty much said the same thing. What he was able to do on what he was riding speaks, uh, speaks to town of, uh, of King Kenny, but I just have a quick follow-up on that one. And I have two more for you. Um, Nikki Hayden was kind of coming in 1999. And I, I don't know if 98 was his rookie season, but I know he had a few podium finishes there in, in 1999 before he kind of focused on, um, the, the road racing stuff. And that, I think obviously 99 was your, your last full-time year. What talent level, um, what do you remember about Nikki Hayden as a rookie and, um, his talent level coming in on, on flat track? Um, you know, Nikki's one of those guys that had he, you know, if he'd have, um, we all knew that if Nikki chose to make dirt track his vocation, he was going to be champion. You know, that it was kind of like, you could just, you could see it, you could tell it. Um, you know, he, he had that little extra something that's, you know, very few guys have, but you just kind of could see it in Nikki and you knew that he, he would be champion. Um, it was kind of always assumed though, because of his talent level, and and where the money was at that time and you know by then rj reynolds had left the sport um and, and so there was you know there, there's never really any question that nikki wasn't going to pursue you know the the aft national championship he was going to go go road racing and so uh but yeah you know you could see the talent and you knew that the you know the talent was there and that he you know he he would be a champion if he chose to be but everybody kind of knew he wasn't going to be because we always knew he was going road racing. This is a three-part question. I just, I've, I had two of them on there. I'm adding a third one. If you could pick in like the all time bike of your choice to go out and win a race, um, the best ever Harley XR 750 you've ridden the best ever Indian FTR 750 or the best ever Honda RS 750 picking one of those bikes. What, what are you picking? Wow. 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 This almost goes to, you know, my, my age and, 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 and if, if, you know, if you could pick a time, you know, um, but that's not fair either. Um, the, you know, the, the most fun to ride, honestly, and you probably go really, you know, was the XR. Mm. Um, you know, when I, I, you know, I was, you know, I, I rode some decent XRs. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I had good bikes, you know, uh, you know, early in my career when I was on Harleys, I rode, uh, John Erickson built me some great Harleys, you know, uh, Rick Canode built me some great Harleys, but you know, like I said, I was still having to get my head right after my brother's death and things. And, but in, you know, I rode the Honda for about 10 years, but when I rode, uh, later on in the, in the late nineties up to 99, I rode, uh, one of Tommy Cummings's XRs. And man, what a fun bike. I mean, it was, you know, it handled right. It was just, you know, it's fun to ride. I, I didn't end up winning a national on one, but, um, you know, that was, that was a great bike to ride. Um, you know, personally, you know, I had the most success on a Honda at that time, you know, my equipment was, was better. Um, you know, the, um, the, you know, having ridden them all and then now getting a chance to ride the Indian you know, compared to the others, the Indians is just an amazing bike because it took, um, you know, the, 
the Harley, which, you know, I think Harley, their 45 degree V twin, uh, configuration was just what they built. And it turned out that it was, you know, the, the, the way to go for dirt track racing. It just seemed to get the, the power to the ground the best. And, and it, uh, you know, it worked. And so Honda, you know, took that, what made that bike good and, you know, a bike that was designed engine that was designed in the, in the late sixties, uh, they, you know, took that design and put 20 year later technology into it and, and made, you know, kept everything in the, the, that was good in the Harley, kept it in the Honda, but made advances to, you know, to make it an even better bike and give it a little, you know, more rev capacity and different things like that. Well, Indian did the same thing. You know, they took the, what was great about the Harley and the Honda and then put technology in that water cooled it, put fuel injection, you know, was able to map things and, um, in, you know, and that's, that bike is, is unbelievably good. Um, you know, as it turns out, is it really good for the sport? I don't know. You know, it's, uh, it, it is, um, super fun to ride because, but it does. I'll t- I, I will say one thing about it. I don't know how long we've got, but I don't, don't want to make it too long. But oh, the first yeah, time I got it, yeah, I was at Sacramento. Um, and I, you know, uh, this was in 2018, I believe, 2017 or 2018. Um, and Kenny Coolbeth was riding uh, the Indian for, I guess, for Nyla Racing at that time. And um, I got off the line behind him in the heat race kind of shocked myself and um and stayed with him and and you know was right on him the the entire heat race got second in the heat and i was used to you know riding where you had to use throttle control you know i'd never had fuel injection and um i was you know used to having to not spin the rear wheel because you would lose so much ground uh you know if you broke the tire loose you'd lose so much ground you couldn't couldn't make it up so but I was watching Kenny, who's a really good, obvious, you know, former champion, really smooth rider, always was. And I'm, you know, I'm watching him and I can, I'm right behind him. I can see his elbow just coming off the corner. It's just dropping. And, and, but, you know, you're used to watching when a guy would do that, you know, you would expect the bike to break loose and kind of go sideways and spin up, you know, you'd hear it spin up and whatever. And I, you know, I've, I'd watch him hit it and the thing would just stay, you know, the back end was just out just a little bit, you know, spinning just a little bit, but it would just keep moving forward. And I had to retrain my brain, my brain to just go ahead and hammer that thing. And, you know, because that's what he was doing and I could see that, you know, and, and it wouldn't, it, it never would get away from you. It would never, you know, it's, it's almost like it took away, you know, some of the skill of the rider because the bike is so good now. Yeah. No, I've heard that. And so, yeah, yeah, for sure. So if that, you know, if that kind of sheds any light on it, it's really hard for me to say, you know, I had the most success on the Honda. So during that era that, you know, the Honda, uh, was where I was most comfortable and had the most success. Um, you know, the Harley was, was probably the easiest to ride, uh, because probably cause it didn't make so much horsepower, but it was, you know, for whatever reason, those things, you know, by accident, I think purely, I don't think it was all just engineered in. I think it was, you know, the, they just worked, you know, for, for whatever reason they just worked. And so that made them fun to ride. Uh, but you know, 
clearly now, you know, the Indian, the, um, uh, you know, it, it combines everything that was good about the two of them and, and adds on to it. Um, and it, you know, it's a, it's a really fun bike to ride. Um, but like I said, it, it does, uh, you know, and, and maybe that's good because it brings, you know, the field closer together when the bike's doing the work a little bit, or, or maybe it doesn't, you know, I don't know. That'll all be something that, you know, uh, down the line, we'll all look back and say, well, it was, it was either good or it was bad, but, um, you know, boy, what, a, you know, like it was, it was on my bucket list to get to ride one. I got to thank Tim Essenson for, for giving me that opportunity to get to go race one, not just ride it, but to race it and to, you know, to race it enough to, to see what it was like. And, and I, you know, one of the few guys that actually got to, to ride all three of them, you know, really in, in a racing circumstance and, and see where, how the, you know, see how they all compared, you know, and, and, you know, all, all great bikes, you know, yeah, just, just good, different, different, different eras. Yeah. Yeah. Good insight, man. That was uh really, really interesting. Cause you're not, you know, one of very few that have probably ridden all three of those bikes. Actually, I don't even know. I'm sure somebody's ridden. Uh, uh, I'm sure there's more, but yeah, you're, you're one of a, of a select few. So yeah, that was good info. Um, last, last one I got for you, Ronnie, tougher error, um, that you've raced in eighties or the nineties. Man, I, you know, the, um, I would say the, the eighties, 90s were tough, but the, but, you know, the field had thinned a little bit, you know, Wayne Rainey had gone to Europe, you know, Kenny had gone to Europe, what Bubba Schobert, you know, had, you know, gone, he actually got injured, but had gone Grand Prix road racing in 89. Um, you know, so I'd have to say the eighties when it, you know, Bubba was there, uh, the, you know, the, a lot of guys hadn't gone off and gone road racing in the eighties. And then you had, we still had the guys, you know, in the early eighties, we saw guys from the movie on any Sunday, you know, uh, I raced against Romero. Uh, I got to race against Mert and they weren't, you know, in their prime then, but you know, there was, you know, I raced against Gary Scott, you know, Hank Scott guys, Randy Goss, Ted Booty, yeah. Randy Goss, Randy Cleek. Um, well, no, Randy was gone by Mike then. Uh, Steve, Ack Steve Ackman, my kid. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, every week, um, you know, everybody generally in every national had won a national, you know, it was, yeah. there was guys that, you know, not final fine for the national. Yeah. Springer. Yeah. Um, Parker Carr. you know, the, the eighties. Yeah. They were still, uh, it's not like Parker and Carr weren't in the 80 era too. Like they were, they no. were still in the, yeah, I wasn't, I mean, like you said, you had some of those, the older guys that were still doing it and still getting on the podium here and there. And, Alex Jorgensen and you had the younger guys. Yeah. They, I talk about it a lot. Everybody talks about the nineties and I'm obviously I'm a nineties kid. Like I love the nineties, but yeah, looking back at it, the eighties was just stacked. So stacked. Um, yeah, yeah I just, I just, I the, love asking that is where when we started, you know, at the on any Sunday, uh, at the very start of this, this cast, the, uh, you know, the, the eighties were the, the kind of the product of on any Sunday. That was where all of the us, us kids that on any Sunday, you know, exposed us to uh, flat track racing, you know, and, and that there was actually a series out there and a way to make, you know, 
make a living and have a house in Tiburon, California, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> that all became a reality because of on any Sunday in the eighties is where it all kind of manifested because that was where that was when that group of us young impressionable minds and kids racers uh that's when we graduated into the sport was in the 80s and I that's why that. i think it was the toughest i love that that's that's an awesome uh, quote i love that um man we could chat forever but uh definitely appreciate you coming on the show man i i i've become i mean i've always been a ronnie jones fan but to to be a friend of yours and get you on and chat with you when I can and soak soak in all you've taught me a lot and um, to soak all that in. I just, I really appreciate it. And uh, I know the the fans are going to really enjoy this one. So uh, I just, thanks for taking the time for, uh, and you're still an animal, man. You, you still, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to age drop you, but you look, you're still in phenomenal <laughs> shape. Go out there and whoop their asses any day of the week in my eyes. So a um, lot of respect and yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, uh, same, same here, Corey. I'm glad to, glad to, you know, be a friend and glad to come on and, you know, glad to know your dad's dad's watching you and your sister and proud of you. I'm proud of you. You know, all the guys that grew up racing with your dad, you know, all have a, a kind of a vested interest in yourselves. You both, both done a great job and that's, you know, good stuff for us. We, we love seeing that. And so, you know, I'm always, uh, cheering for you and, and, uh, you know, and of course, hoping to still get out and ra- get to race with you once in a while. Yeah. I saw your speed at, at Volusia. I don't know if I want to race you, man. I was, I was like, this isn't even fair. And you were beating good guy. Like that Astro class is pretty, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty stacked. Like you guys had a pretty stacked field of Volusia and yeah, man, it was, you were flying. So, uh, I do love racing with you there. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully there's a track out there that, that, uh, you got your eye on and, uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll get you back on after you, after you kick our asses again. <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, you know, when you come to Oklahoma city, bring your, bring your mountain bikes, your road bikes, bring your dirt bike, whatever. We'll go, we'll go play on all those things when you come down. So I'm definitely hanging for, uh, I'm actually going to be making my way up that, um, after, uh, Texas in a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm taking the week cool. to kind of migrate from there to, uh, Joliet. So I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that. I'll, I'll, I'll get in touch with you. Yeah. Yeah, bring all your toys. We'll go we'll <laughs> get right. out and play. Cool. Sounds good, Ronnie. Once again, I appreciate you, and uh, we'll chat soon. All right, Corey. Take care, bud. All right, see ya. Ronnie Jones. Golly, I love it. I, great, great show. Um, appreciate having a guy like Ronnie come on and and uh, and do the pod with us. That was, that was awesome. Just so much insight from a, a guy that raced in the 80s, the 90s, and then all the way up till I, his, he still was racing in 2019 and he's talking about coming back and, and doing another one. So yeah, just uh really, really cool interview. Uh, Ronnie's one of my favorite people in the paddock, uh, Pitts paddock. However, I don't want to piss the boomers off. It, 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 it's Pitts or paddock. He's one of my favorite guys. And yeah, I, I love chatting with, uh, with Ronnie Jones. So, um, really good show. Really, uh, man, I, these every week, it's just like, how am I going to top this one? How am I going to top it? But, um, talked a little bit earlier with, uh, Mike, Michael Buckley from Dunlop. Maybe we'll get Miguel, hopefully Miguel on the show next. Uh, if not, there's a bunch of good guests I have lined up. I want to bring on Andrew Butler, who was our guest last week. Um, I'm going to bring him on the chat about the weekend and just not bullshit a little bit about, um, about uh, about flat track 
I don't know. I like to, I like to chat with, uh, I like the bench race with somebody. So we're going to bring Andrew Butler on and we'll chat that and we'll wrap this show up. But uh, yeah, let's, let's bring on Andrew Butler. On the show now for a little closing segment is last week's guest. I, I enjoyed chatting with him so much. Bring him back on is Andrew Butler. Butler, what's good, man? Not much. What's going on with you? Just had a badass interview with Ronnie Jones. So yeah, it was the info was it just kept coming. It was it was a lot of good stuff. Just talking 1980s, 1990s, anything from Kenny Roberts to Ricky Graham to On Any Sunday to Honda RS750. I mean, it was it was a doozy. So yeah, we it was a long one. We we kept I could have kept him on too. I felt bad, so I let him I let him bounce. But yeah, it was a good one. That's awesome. I like Ronnie a lot. I got to uh hang out with him a little bit when I was with Destin's and team and that guy is insane. It's like he doesn't age. It's almost like he ages backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We talked about it. It's there's not many guys. I, I just talked about it. Not many guys that have raced like Mert Lawwell and Briar Bauman. Exactly. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's it's crazy to think about, but yeah, no, it was, it was good, man. I wanted to bring you on as Chad, uh, you ride Lima this past weekend, dude. Uh, it was the first time you raced Lima probably in what five years, bro. Oh yeah. I didn't race. I rode, but now it was six years. <laughs> I only did practice and then I parked it because it was really gnarly rough and I'm a wuss and super out of shape. And I was more concerned about going to work on Monday than riding around a rough track. So. I just uh, helped out my boy Max and hung out. Yeah, typically, typically Lyme is rough though, right? Like, was it rougher than like the Nationals there, or like what? What? I mean, I know you guys got a lot. They got a lot of rain and shit, but um, yeah, the videos I've seen it, it looked pretty gnarly. Um, so yeah, any more or less gnarly than when you've seen it before? I don't know. Like, uh, you know, back in the day when i was racing there you know a few years ago it it was gnarly like that um for sure but i feel like the last couple years it wasn't quite so bad for you guys um but we did get a lot of rain um like big time rain up there and i think the track was just wet down deep and i i I mean i don't think it's jeff hire's fault by any mean uh means that he was doing his best to, to keep it nice but it uh, it was pretty gnarly. The corners were pretty typical, but uh, for me, what was bothering me the most was the backstretch. It was like a high-speed whoop section that I just couldn't deal with on my framer. So, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, what was the? Uh, what were they? Were they dragging it and stuff like? I mean, did they have drags? Oh yeah, they had drags. I didn't. I couldn't tell how good a quality they were compared to like the ones that Mies has when uh, we do the national, but. They had, I think, two or, he does have he does have good drags. Yeah, yeah, they had like two or three pickup trucks with some drags, and uh, they were dragging it for sure. But uh, it was just, I think it was just a little too far gone, probably from the rain. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I had I had a couple of people ask me why I wasn't gonna ride, and I was like, honestly, I felt like I was riding my dad's road king <sighs> across the whoop section. I was like, I'm not <laughs> about this. So. Dude, I hate I hate that question. And everybody, you fucking go to a race. Everybody's you're not you're not riding or racing. There's like there could be a million reasons why, and everybody just comes up. Why aren't you riding? It's like shut up. Like I just want to hang out or, or whatever. Like I just 
it, you always have to explain as a racer while you're why you're not riding it's like it's just so so annoying sometimes. yeah it, it's an it. annoying question but it's easy for me because i'm not a racer anymore and like i said I, i'm not going i'm not going to race i'm going to ride because i'm riding the amateur class and i'm going to get whipped by these 14 year old kids anyway so i just wanted to go ride like like we said i hadn't been there i hadn't raced myself there in six years and i was like man i I just want to do it again. I just want to ride Lima again, you know? So I was okay with it. You know, I, I, I paid my sign up fee. I didn't yeah. ask for it back. You know, I, I, I appreciated the promoter and everything. So, uh, I did my lap. It wasn't for me and, uh, you know, all good. Just hung out the rest of the day. Help Max. Yeah, it was stacked. I was stacked as far as entries go. I think they had like 320 entries or, or something like that, which to promote a race on a cushion half mile, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would do it like the way he did it. I think, I think 17 or I forgot how many, they had 17 or 20 class. They had a lot of classes and like the amount of track prep a cushion takes and half mile long lap times. Um, it's tough with that many riders to be honest. And, um, I don't know, like, if I was doing a cushion, like promote from like a promoter standpoint, I don't know if I would, I'd make it to a two day event. Like maybe, maybe have open practice on Friday, um, sign up and maybe run practice in your heat. And then maybe the next day run a practice and you're, ma- I don't know. I, I might, yeah. I'd, to give everybody like a good enough, a good enough laps. Cause that's a, like lo- these local cushion races that I've done, I've always noticed that like, you always never get enough laps because either track prep or it takes so long to run a cushion with everything. Um, it almost makes sense to maybe look at doing some sort of two day event for something like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are, but no, you're definitely right. Uh, for- he did have 320 entries or so. And I believe there's like 15 classes. Or maybe make it less classes. Yeah. A lot of, a yeah. lot of classes, but it's nice that he has, you know, several classes. I mean, it, no matter what bike or what age you are, when you go there, you can ride at least two classes for sure. So that's, that's nice. But, uh, now you're right, dude, on these Ohio cushions, it's hard to do that many people in that many classes because dust becomes a problem after like two classes. And he did, uh, he started early, um, for practice as early as he could. And, we got two sessions in, two two full sessions running through the program in for practice, which took a while. I think yeah, maybe, I think if he was to do it again, maybe just do one session and give more laps for each group. But uh, yeah, yeah, we can nitpick all we want. But uh, I thought it was fine. No, it was it good. really it was wasn't good, that man. bad. He had like thirty five heat races or something ridiculous, and ran semis and got the mains in. And I didn't catch like the last two yeah, or three mains but i mean we were out of there before midnight so um yeah. it, he it was pretty successful in my opinion yeah yeah it's good now i wanted to kind of get some insight from you on that and i had a question man i wanted to i wanted to kind of bench race a little bit i i see i saw the results and um this isn't even about the pro classes, but I saw the results and the hooligan, they had a hooligan main event, right? Yeah. Uh, and er- anybody that has listened to my shows or like I've done articles, I'm a fucking, I love hooligan racing. I think it's like the, 
it's the it's it's almost I don't want to say it saved their track, but it's it definitely elevated their track um, from the personalities involved with it and the companies and whatever. Um, but why the hell are we having B mains for hooligan racing? Like, there's an A main and then there was a B main. Um, <laughs> we don't have B mains for like the 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 peewee classes or the amateur classes. Yeah. Like, well, I don't understand. It's not the only time I've seen this from hooligan stuff. It's like guys like you don't need a b main go faster make the a main or be like every other class like why why is there b mains like um i just don't get it like i've had people at i just i don't i don't get it so people can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe that was like the first round of the hooligan national championship or something i think uh, partnered with with jeff hires race so oh jeremy jeremy yeah, okay jeremy okay yeah thing. so there was a ton of hooligan uh, i still there. hate it <laughs> i know there was a ton of hooligan I riders there it. i don't know like probably half of that 320 entries is probably hooligans but uh there was a ton <laughs> of them there i don't know if like nobody got sent home or if if you had to make the b main too i'm not sure exactly how that worked out but i'm i'm guessing maybe it has something to do with the points and then in the hooligan class one of the the great things about it that that is bringing more people to our sport is that there's, you know, there's all different talent levels. So you got guys that are like not that far off of the, the, the amateur and pro pace on four fifties and twins. And then you got guys that are like six seconds off, you know? So it, it's kind of, it's kind of cool that they have two main events, A and a B because, you know, the faster guys get their main event and then the guys that aren't quite as fast, they still get their chance and they still get their laps. So, um, I, 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 I know you yeah. hate it, but that's, that's why it's, you know, I could also, you could also event. say the same for the, you could also say, say the same for the amateur races too. I mean, um, like the winter throwdown, like my buddy, Julian, he's a very, very, he's my, like one of my best friends. He's a very, he might flat track once a year. He's full on amateur. Right. Mm -hmm. So like he won the, he comes to the winter throwdown. It's like, dude, like there's, like Brandon Posh didn't make the amateur main event at the throwdown. Like it's, it's stacked. Um, and well, but, I think it's different because that's like, well, I guess you could ride your hooligan in a different, probably like open amateur or something, but that's kind of like their 30 that's plus like yeah. their class, you know, that, that's what they're there for. So I, I, yeah. man, there's a couple ways you can look at it. I, I guess, uh, you know, like with Julian or, or Posh, uh, you know, when you go sign up for a 450 amateur class and there's like 70 of them there, it, it is hard to make it, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. But like, I either think like you come and you race with fast guys, you get better, you take that opportunity. Like I, me personally, as a competitor, I don't, I wouldn't want to be in it. I wouldn't do a B main. Yeah. Like I, if I didn't make the A main, I'd be like, fuck, I ain't, I ain't going out there in the B main. That's participation ribbon stuff. I mean, yeah. you talk, you go back to the novice junior expert days. You you hear all these guys talk about, you had to win the fastest heat and blah, blah, whatever. But yeah, I just, I just saw that and for some reason. It just like, it just bothered me. I'm like, man, like today's day and age, everyone gets a participation ribbon. Like well, I was just like, man, B main. Oh, I don't know like uh, how it works with uh, Jeremy's series, but maybe they pay points or something for a couple of finishers in the B main. I'm not sure. And then there are different ways to look at it too. Like uh, I'm pretty sure like in sprint car racing, don't they do B mains and, and like the dirt car racing? I think. They yeah. The B main, well, so. they take the B main. 
Yeah, you can qualify for the A main from the B main. And this isn't, I didn't even realize, I, I totally slipped my mind that it was uh, the Reuters series. And he, I, I know he does a really good job with that. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, just, this is the B main. I just don't know. B main. I just, yeah, I don't know how it works. I, just, I mean, yeah, I we can call it like a participation trophy thing, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he pays points some, or, or something out of it, but. Uh, yeah, to be fair, it could be right. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I was looking at classes that like main events, like to possibly, what could you narrow down to, uh, you know, to, to fit in more laps or more races or whatever. And I just saw that. I was like, oh, yeah. Old B main, eh? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, that's cool, man. I, I just, yeah, I wanted to get some insight. Any, any, how'd Maxi do, dude? Uh, how, how, how'd the pro, what'd the pro class look like? Uh, wild as usual. Uh, Max did great. We were kind of testing stuff, uh, trying to, he hasn't ridden the KTM yet on a cushion track, cushion half mile. So we wanted to just kind of get his feet wet and try to see, uh, what, what he needs to be comfortable on the KTM on the cushion track. And, uh, we had Justin there with the, the KTM truck and kind of tried some different things and Fillmore gave us some stuff to try. And, uh, we found a couple things for Max that he liked, and then we still got some things to work on, but I think, you know, we're, we're happy we had this opportunity because now we're not going to be quite as blind when we go into Lima this year, but, um, yeah, it was good. And then obviously, uh, in the racing itself, you know, we got to see Sammy Halbert on a cushion half mile on an Indian for the first time, which was uh, quite the show. And then uh, Brandon Robinson, he is always incredibly strong at Lima and he was going really good on the cushion too. So, and I, I think one of the most impressive things for the night for me was in that the open class that had the twins in it as well. Uh, old hammer and Hank, uh, your boy, Henry Wiles was, uh, battling for the win there at the end on a 450 against the twins um it was really impressive yeah i'm not surprised dude i'm not surprised i mean a he's a he's always been a good cushion rider and b um i know i've talked to you about it but i feel like i don't feel like a 450 is that far off a twin on a cushion or, or you know what i mean like i've saw i've if you look at lap times from lima in the past um the 450 lap times are very, very stout compared to the twins. So yeah, um, yeah, maybe it's a slight advantage depending on the rider, but yeah. Yeah, no, the lap times are definitely similar, but there's, uh, you know, that obvious horsepower. But Cody Cobb won. Cody Cobb won the 450 class. So. Yeah, that's the 450 class, but against the twins, it's a little yeah, different, yeah, you know, yeah. when you get on that that deep cushion and they have that horsepower and the, the straightaway speed advantage. I'm I'm pretty sure that their wilds never well i think he was wide open from when the, the light turned green so he was it was pretty wild to watch yeah. but uh no it was good it was good racing uh robinson uh almost got disqualified or did get disqualified i was kind of a confusing deal but <laughs> he was uh losing oil and they had a black flag but he didn't know it was him i think like it seems like any anytime someone gets black flag they don't know it's them which is kind of <laughs> odd, but uh, that happens apparently. Yeah, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, it was a good race. And then uh, yeah, like you said, in the four in the four fifty class, the the four fifty main later on, uh, Cody Cop just dominated. He was gone by a straightaway over Wiles and and the rest of the the crew that was in the previous main. And that kid was impressive all day. He's so much like his dad. It's neat to watch. He uh, 
he just rides the same line all day long. He, he works on it, and he is so incredibly smooth. He looks like he's not even trying, and he's just pulling away from these other guys that are wide open trying to fall off. So, uh, yeah. yeah, the kid is going to – I love Cody Cop, man. He's going to be really tough when we go back there for the Nationals, especially if it gets gnarly. He is going to be really tough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I'm a big Cody Cop fan. I – uh I've grown to really, really like that kid, man. He's, he's, uh, and I've spent some time with him. Most of these kids, they, they have egos or they're cocky or whatever, uh, or they're awkward as fuck and they don't even know how to hold a conversation. Um, Cody's really, really cool, man. He's, he's always having fun. He's super respectful to, I don't know, the history of the sport. I, don't know, I, just, I just really like him. He's, he's just a cool kid. So, um, yeah, I mean, between Henry and Cody, um, you know, they're, they were, they were going good. So, uh, Shayna wasn't there. She's she's won a, a couple years in a row, and I know there's some other guys that weren't there, right? I mean, uh, Dallas and Mikey, obviously, they weren't there. So it'll it'll be interesting for that for the singles class too. And then on the twin side of it, there there were only three or four of the of the twins guys there. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We we'll had see. To, we'll see how it goes. Lima's a, Lima's a good one. We had uh, we had Halbert uh, Robinson Vanderkoy, and then Bronson was there as well, but he had a little bit of a mechanical issue in the oh, I heard. practice yeah that Gosh, poor guy he, we were parked next to him and i felt so bad for him i he had a fresh bike oh, and man. had a mechanical but he was in good spirits man he was out there uh kind of helping out with track prep he, he was, was he was i think he just uh got so tired of uh the track prep situation that he just jumped in one of the drag trucks himself and started tracking the track <laughs> but uh he did that, and he was on the microphone yeah. with Dubler a little bit, and he was actually pretty good as a commentator. He's definitely got a future um, in that, but uh, no, he he was yeah. good. Yeah, Brombo's he's awesome. But yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of twins. Yeah, so cool. Well, I just wanted to get some insight, man. I uh, I don't have much else. Anything exciting this weekend? There's a local half mile I might do, um, and then the following week, actually, I'm I'm gonna go and instruct with Danny Walker at American super camp in Harrington, Delaware. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that, but you guys have any flat tracky things planned this weekend? Uh, I don't think I do. Um, I mean, Max hasn't told me there's anything going on and, uh, my little brother Trent hasn't said there's anything going on. So I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. Well, Dude, appreciate you coming on and, and chatting a little bit about the weekend. And you got some good insight, Butler. Dude, your, your show is one of my favorites, man. It was a lot of fun. So it was good to have you back on and and chat. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it was fun uh, talking about it. It's one of my favorite places to go, and it was a good weekend. So uh, thanks for having me talk about it. <laughs> You can be my local correspondent. Um, any any of the local stuff. Well, anything good happens at like uh, the the local stuff. Uh, you're my you're my correspondent. Bring you on and chat about it. All right, I got you covered. <laughs> All right, dude. Appreciate you once again. We'll uh, we'll chat soon. Cool, man. See ya. Yeah, great show. I just want to make sure we. We give our sponsors another plug. They make this show happen for us. Bell Power Sports. Check them out on social media and bellhelmets.com. Moto America, social media. Give them a follow. You won't regret it. They crush it. VIR, May 21st to 23rd at DID Chain. Check them out on social media. Send them a message. Ask them what they recommend for your motorcycle. Street, dirt, whatever. 
Jerry Stinchfield makes this show happen. We appreciate his support. Nearly 40 years of experience in the commercial roof and sorry, in commercial and roof industrial roofing company, Jerry Stinchfield. Make sure you check his out, check out his website, commercialroofsystems.net. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires. Check out their website, DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. We talked to Michael Buckley tonight. It was a great, great interview. It was really cool talking with him. I loved chatting with our sponsors and people in the industry that make it happen. AIM Sports Data, the world leader in data acquisition. Solo 2, I, I say it every show. Reach out to me, get the info. I'll dial you in. Make sure you guys get that GPS lap timer. And Hanum's Harley-Davidson, Tommy Hanum, the whole crew over at Hanum's Harley, appreciate their support. Hit them up on social media. Tell them we sent you at Hanum's HD. What a show. What a long show. These headphones are starting to hurt my ears. I've had them on for like three hours. So hope you guys enjoyed the pod. Subscribe, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. If you guys have any questions on how to actually subscribe, hit me up. I'll gladly walk you through it. Um, we're coming to YouTube here soon, guys. We're going to put some clips on YouTube in the future, we want to do some live shows. We want to video the live shows. I don't know how many we'll do a year. We're just going to try and dip into a little bit. But I want to have some guests in a studio, film it, put it on YouTube. So um, some plans for the future. Uh, I don't have I don't have anything else. That's a wrap. Later. <laughs>